Get those taxes filed. Today's tax day across the land. I'm John Rawl. Welcome into Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent as we begin a new week of talking about the Southeast here on Y'all. And hopefully you all had a wonderful mid-May weekend. A lot of you had wonderful weather out there, and we sure hope that uh, you had the best of weekends. And we hope that this week is all set to be a wonderful week for you here across the 16 southern states. We have a fantastic show today. We've got a fantastic set of shows set up for the entire week here on the show covering everything south of the Mason-Dixon line. And let me just go ahead and give you a little heads up of what's happening here this first hour. We've got lots of headlines to get to. They finally caught that tiger in Houston, Texas. Good Lord. A lot of people probably afraid to go outside and do errands. Maybe that was a good excuse to to not cut the grass for the last couple of days if you lived in Harris County, Texas. Point well taken. Unfortunately for you who have grass to be cut, you're going to have to go out there and cut it. The tiger is not only has it been captured, it's also now in North Texas. So we'll have an update on the Houston missing tiger that we'll share with you here in a second. Some HBO news. We'll share a developing business story there. Here in our headlines today of the Y'all Show, also as we cover the Southeast, we have had a police-involved shooting in Birmingham that we'll share with you here on Headlines Across the Southeast today. And then later, we'll tell you about a heartwarming story coming from Hilton Head as a dying World War II veteran's last wish was to see the beach, and his family made that happen. I'll share that with you as well as... Johnny Cash getting a marker in Starkville, Mississippi, one of the more not-so-positive moments of Johnny Cash's career there in Starkville back in the 1960s. But we'll share with you what happened over the weekend. Marty Stewart on hand in Stark, Vegas, as Johnny Cash received a Mississippi Country Music Trail marker in Starkville. We'll tell you why. Also, if you're a Tennessean, you better ace this quiz a Nashville TV station has come up with a 225 or two yeah, it's 225 in honor of Tennessee's not bicentennial but whatever it is when it's 200 plus 25 it's got some kind of fancy name I'll look it up here when I get a chance but this is the year 2021 it's Tennessee's 225th birthday and WKRN in Nashville has come up with a 225 Tennessee question trivia contest and I'll share with you at least one of those trivia questions. And if you're a Tennessean, you better darn get this one. And if you're not a Tennessean, I think you'll be able to get this one. So it's coming up here in our look across the headlines of the Southeast. We also have some sports news. We'll be passing along your way here on today's Y'all Show. We told you there was going to be a national championship game played on Sunday. And boy, was it a great football game between the Sam Houston State Bearcats and the South Dakota State Jackrabbits. Went down to the wire, and in the end, the South's own Bearcats got the victory in Frisco, and they are your FCS national champions. Spring football, and a Southern team gets their first national championship on the college football gridiron in the month of May. And we'll we'll have to play that Sam Houston fight song one more time here when we get to our sports headlines coming up. It's also this, the play-in is set for the NBA. We'll tell you which teams are playing, and some of these have Southern connections. We've got a couple of Southern connections in this first-ever play-in tournament for the NBA, and that gets underway Tuesday. 
and we'll have updates on who's going to be playing and how this whole tournament even works as the association getting their postseason underway. That's ahead in our look at sports headlines across the southeast today. And also we'll give you a recap of what happened on the diamond this past weekend in college baseball. Arkansas able to go to Knoxville and survive. And Vanderbilt goes on the road to Oxford and they do not survive. The Mississippi Sharks swim tough and get a series win against number two Vanderbilt at Swayze Field. That, that The college baseball update will have plenty of college baseball plus the latest top 25 poll from D1 Baseball. We'll get to that in our sports update here this hour. Then, as we wrap up Hour 1 today, a look at Southern history. Some Dolly Madison news, and also a connection to Charles Lindbergh, as the most famous portion of Charles Lindbergh's life happened this week, some hundred years ago. And we're going to let you know about the connections that Lindbergh, the great aviator, had to the southeast. He had several connections, and we'll share that as part of our Southern History Spotlight later this hour hour two our takapola storyteller jerry short will be dropping in and he's going to talk to us about a lot of fun stuff from the good old days and then i'm going to have to get his take on the closure of the hernando de soto bridge in memphis that's the interstate 40 bridge that has been shut down indefinitely a major artery here of the south and we'll find out how in the world could this country right here the most advanced superpower in the land can't have a bridge in a major city open how does that happen and we'll get the taco polo storytellers take on that on the southern accent on food coming up in hour two and then hour three we got really something really cool that has just kind of fallen in our lap our sister station on our great flamethrower of a radio station of fox sports jackson in tennessee has a sister station called WNWS FM 101.5 and WTJS FM 93.1. Brad McCoy hosts the afternoon show on both of those stations. And the other day, a guy named John Schneider popped up on his radio show to promote an event coming up in the West Tennessee, Middle Tennessee area this weekend. And so we're going to let the we're going to flatten the hills, if you will, and let John Schneider, Bo Duke on the Dukes of Hazard Come on for an appearance on today's Y'all Show, courtesy of The Real McCoy Show from Grace Media Group. And that will be a little portion of that interview played in our third hour of today's Y'all Show, our closing argument, as we'll be flying solo today. No art here in today's Y'all Third Hour. So again, hopefully your weekend was great, and we're going to get into the fun now, looking at what is happening across the southeast of the United States. As I said, today is tax day, and here's what you need to know. In response to the COVID-19 pandemic, once again this year, the Internal Revenue Service has pushed back the deadline. Last year, I think it was moved to August. This year, moved to today. So you had an extra month and a day or so to file your tax returns. And if you are just now hearing this and you haven't filed anything, hint, hint, you might want to do that. If you owe federal taxes and don't file a tax return or extension before tonight at midnight, you will incur interest and penalties. The penalty for not filing taxes is usually around 5% of any unpaid tax you would report on your return. The maximum penalty is 25%. To avoid an underpayment penalty, you will usually have to pay at least 90% of the total you owe for the current tax year. So, just file 
and figure out from there if you are going to be owing or anything. If you miss today's deadline to file individual tax returns, you can file what's called a Form 4868 to apply for an extension, which will give you until October 15th to file your 2020 tax return. The form includes instructions for filing to form the form electronically, or you can file it by mail as well. And I'll tell you, that was one of the highlights I had last week. I'm sure if you are a tax filer, there's no greater joy than to know this thing's done. And sometimes even if you're having to pay them and instead of them giving you a, a dividend back, it it's just that feeling that, man, it's out of the way. And they might come audit me still, but I think I'm I, I think I did I think I did the right thing here. And I filed, and, 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 and so I don't have to worry about taxes. I can stick, stick all this paperwork in an envelope and all my receipts. And, I, by the way, I, I've been told you might want to keep that stuff for at least three years. If you've got stuff four years older or old or older, you can probably toss that by now. But keep it around for at least the first three years after you file. We don't want you sent off to the prison for, I guess, illegal stuff that you might be doing with your tax returns. But – Man, what a great feeling. I was able to knock that out. It took me about three hours, and that included going through every receipt and, and putting it in its proper stack and then pulling out the calculator. And I know it's complicated. It's complicated, especially if you've got multiple people in your household, you've got dependents, but you got to do it. It's part of, it's part of living. We've got two things we've got to do, you know. You've got to pay taxes. And you got to die. That's just part of the deal. Everybody's got to put up with, or you're you're supposed to. I think everybody's got to put up with death. I'm not sure everybody puts up with paying taxes. Yeah, but that is today, Tax Day 2021. As my friend Larry, the cable guy, would say, get er done. Colonial Pipeline now back up to full operation. As on Wednesday of last week, they announced a restart of their pipeline operations across the southeast this is the pipeline that had been hit by a ransomware attack and they put out a statement saying that they have returned to the normal operation procedure delivering millions of gallons per hour to the markets we serve as their pipeline stretches from the houston area through mississippi and louisiana into the birmingham area it's headquartered in atlanta and from atlanta it heads through the upstate of south carolina across north carolina virginia all the way into Maryland, into parts of New Jersey. And it, I guess it kind of stops at New Jersey just before New York City. But at, it looks like Colonial Pipeline back up and going after this ransomware attack. And so there's no excuse now. I know it may take a day or two, but there's no excuse for some of these prices of gas to be as high as they are. I think I saw somewhere someone was charging around $7 a gallon, and they had – I mean, a lot of people were upset, as they should be. Gouging would be the term I would think most people would say. But, you know, there's been times, even in Atlanta, where 50% of the gas stations were out of gas because of this pipeline being shut down last week. And so hopefully the the fuel is flowing properly and all the big gas trucks, the 18-wheelers that haul this stuff and sends it all to the hinterlands of the southeast and beyond all the gas stations will have plenty of fuel going forward and we can kind of normalize a supply of gas across the country here and stabilize things at the same time but it shows how vulnerable we are as a country when jerry short's on in hour two 
We're going to talk about the vulnerability of our bridges as we had the I-40 bridge closed over the course of a couple days last week, and it's going to be closed indefinitely there in Memphis. So, yeah, we may be so great and put people on the moon and send them to Mars one day, but we can't even get a bridge here and a gas line going like it ought to because of headaches and, and bad actors in the case of the pipeline. Four Alabama officers have been hurt after an argument over a dog ends in a deadly shooting. The four officers, two of which were shot and two of which were grazed by bullets during the incident, are expected to recover from their injuries. But this happened in Birmingham over the weekend at an apartment building. Police sergeant there for Birmingham told reporters at a news conference that officers responded to a call at 6.30 a.m., I think it was on Sunday morning, of a man and woman who were shot on the 1000 block of Richard Arrington Jr. Boulevard. The male, discovered unresponsive on the sidewalk, was pronounced dead on the scene, while the female, who had a gunshot wound, was taken to the nearby hospital where she was pronounced dead. The shooting stemmed from an altercation with another male individual over a dog. Birmingham police described the suspect responsible for the shooting as a white male with a red shirt and overalls. That ought to be pretty easy to find, a a red shirt and overalls in Birmingham. After receiving and executing a search warrant to enter the suspect's apartment at 18th Street South and Southside, officers were immediately met with gunfire, and officers returned fire, killing the suspect. So the guy, I guess, responsible for these shootings has been killed in Birmingham. The four officers taken to a nearby hospital after two officers were shot while the others were grazed by gunfire. As we said, all are expected to recover from their injuries. The Alabama Law Enforcement Agency's State Bureau of Investigation is leading the probe into the shooting. Four injured police officers. It looks like they're all going to be okay in this ugly incident from over the weekend. And it shows you just how dangerous and how underappreciated law enforcement is across the country. And let me just kind of tell you a little bit about a story that came out over the weekend. And it breaks down the pay of law enforcement around the country. The Bureau of Labor Statistics data shows a mean hourly wage for law enforcement of $33.60 and an average yearly salary of $70,000 for law enforcement. Now, unfortunately, that's in some areas a pretty good amount of money, but there's other areas, especially here in the South, where you're not getting that much to be a law enforcement officer. In fact, Californian the California law enforcement officers make the highest yearly salary with an average of 107440 In the Magnolia state of Mississippi, the average salary for a law enforcement officer, $37,210. A big difference with, again, Mississippi being the lowest and California being, gosh, nearly, nearly $100,000 a year more. I will dive a little bit closer into some of these numbers, if you'll bear with me here, as uh, we have this information coming out from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. And California, with 107,000, I believe the next highest state is New York, 80,000 a year. That's a big discrepancy there in the average annual mean wage for law enforcement. But as I said, we've got some states out there that are pretty low in terms of how much they make. Mississippi, 37210 the annual mean wage. Alabama, 
550, and I don't have a breakdown of every single southern state, so I apologize for not having that information. But, yeah, it's pretty rough out there for the pay of some of these law enforcement officers. I think I saw, let's see here, okay, I, this this is a little confusing the way this is broken down, so I apologize. But check it out. It's from, again, a national site, the U.S. Labor U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics is where you can learn more about the employment and wage information for law enforcement across the country. As I said, the tiger has been found in Houston, Texas. What a weird story! This this tiger. It's, it, you would think it wouldn't take uh, almost a week to find a missing tiger in a U.S. city, but that's what happened when this tiger got out of a neighborhood. And now, after nearly a week long search. This tiger has been found unharmed, and a video put out by Houston police said that the tiger can be sitting, uh, it's sitting, actually a police commander there, Ron Borza, put a video where he's sitting next to the tiger, petting an animal, saying it's been a long week search for. Here, kitty, kitty. (laughs) Crazy guy there to be that close to that tiger. But yeah, this tiger has now been moved from Houston up to North Texas as he's now in Murchison, Texas which is southeast of Dallas, and he's at the Cleveland Amory Black Beauty Ranch, an animal sanctuary in North Texas. And now this tiger's out of the Houston area. The nine-month-old male named India was spotted May 9th in a West Houston neighborhood. At the time, it was nearly shot by an off-duty deputy before being whisked away in a car by Victor Hugo Chevals, Cuevas, Cuevas, who police said is the owner. At a news conference, Borza said that Cuevas's wife turned over the tiger to police on Saturday after a friend of hers reached out to officials at the BARC. Confusing story, but still, the fact that this tiger was missing for a couple of days had to be extremely scary for everybody in Houston. We've got more headlines across Southland we're going to get to here on the Y'all Show. Stick with us. Hey, our website is y'all.com. It is the ultimate website for the South. It is the homepage of the South. We encourage you to go there and learn about what's going on in the South and so much more. It's y'all.com, powered right here. The Y'all Show is where we're powered by. So hang on. More headlines from across the Southland coming up. In fact, an update from Jackson, Mississippi as Jackson State University remembers the slaying of two students from some 50 years ago. That's up next here on Talk with a Southern Accent. Well, 
We're back on y'all talking about everything in the southeast. We got to look at sports headlines in the next segment of today's y'all show. But right now, we are going to keep on diving through headlines from across the southeast. And we'll take you to Jackson, Mississippi, where over the weekend they held a graduation ceremony at Jackson State University. And there they also apologized for the 1970 shooting of two Jackson State University, at that time Jackson State College students. They were gunned down some 51 years ago. And now the mayor of Jackson, Mississippi, who is Chokwe Lumumba and State Senator Hillman Frazier spoke during a graduation ceremony for the class of 1970 of what was then Jackson State College because that class of 1970 actually did not have a graduation ceremony due to the violence that happened in 1970. The mayor of Jackson apologized on behalf of the city to the families of the two men whose lives were cut short by this violent police response to the protest against racial injustice in 1970. Killed back then were 21-year-old Jackson State student Philip Lafayette Gibbs and 17-year-old James Earl Green, who was a high school student on campus while walking home from work. And that 1970 commencement was canceled because of the bloodshed and graduates that year received their diploma in the mail, if they got it at all. On Saturday, 74 of the 400-plus 1970 graduates of Jackson State donned caps and gowns and stood in the sunshine to receive the recognition denied to them a lifetime ago. A feel-good story coming from Jackson, Mississippi there in that incident that has kind of been dwarfed in the coverage of protest and killings and just unrest, if you will, from the 60s. And this is in the 1970s when this happened. And, of course, Kent State happened around that same time period. But Jackson State also a bloody killing in 1970. And now, some 51 years later, those members of that class who were not given a official graduation ceremony now having the chance to go across the stage and get a handshake and a photo and a good laugh, but remembering that some 51 years ago, two young men, Jackson State student Philip Lafayette Gibbs and James Earl Green, a high school student, were killed in these protests and the, I think it was the Mississippi State Highway, Mississippi Highway Patrol, I think, was the agency that maybe shot these two men and others during this 1970 protest, I, another ch- chapter in the civil rights struggle of that time period. Here's a current modern-day civil rights story that we'll tell you about. We're coming up here later this month on the 100th anniversary of the Tulsa Race Massacre, and now the governor of Oklahoma has been kicked off the Tulsa Race Massacre Commission. That's right, Governor Kevin Stitt from Oklahoma City, Commission formed to observe the 100th anniversary of the massacre announced that it had booted the governor from his seat on the panel a week before he signed a bill outlawing the teaching of some race and racism concepts in public schools. A statement from the Race Massacre Commission did not indicate the reason for the parting, but a spokesman said the commission had no further comment. However, Commission Project Manager Phil Armstrong had sharply criticized the Republican governor of Oklahoma and and criticized him for signing this bill into law, which prohibits the teaching of so-called critical race theory in Oklahoma schools. And the commission statement saying the 1921 Tulsa Race Massacre Centennial Commissioners 
met Tuesday and agreed through consensus to part ways with Governor Stitt. It went on to say that while the commission is disheartened to part ways with Governor Stitt, we are thankful for the things accomplished together. No elected officials nor representatives of elected officials were involved in this decision. Kicked off of this, Sarah, uh, this upcoming Tulsa race riot anniversary, and that out of Oklahoma, of course, that commission we just told you has got a lot of stuff planned. In fact, John Legend will be performing in Tulsa here Memorial Day weekend in honor of the 100th anniversary of the Tulsa race riot, an ugly chapter in the civil rights struggle, that from the 1920s here in this country. President Donald Trump is going to be in North Carolina. He's heading there to headline North Carolina's Republican Convention, and this will be Trump's first address outside of Mar-a-Lago since his keynote CPAC speech, which was held in the Orlando area. I think that was back in February is when that was. But President Trump's going to – it could have been in March. President Trump traveling early in June to the Republican Party of North Carolina's annual convention – The president will head to Greenville in eastern North Carolina on June 5th and will speak at the convention dinner. The state party's Monday morning announcement of the Trump stop in North Carolina was shared first with Fox News. Trump's address will be, again, his first outside of Mar-a-Lago since that CPAC event, which was actually, I was was pretty close, y'all. Give me credit. It was February 28th, which was the day before March, so I was almost right there. The former president also addressed the Republican National Committee's private spring donor retreat at Mar-a-Lago April 10th. But he's pretty much been trapped on a golf course or at Mar-a-Lago ever since, although they're saying that he's going to start having more of those famous rallies in the very near future. But it looks like if you're in North Carolina, you're going to have a chance to see President Trump at the Republican Convention of North Carolina in June and And now the undisputed leader of the Republican Party is going to be in North Carolina, a state that went red in 2020, a state that a lot of people thought was going to be blue. Frankly, I thought the chances of North Carolina becoming blue were far greater than Georgia. And a lot of us are still scratching our head about the election of 2020. Here's a heartwarming story coming out of Hilton Head, a World War II veteran wanted to see the beach one more time before he was called to the great beyond. And thanks to his family, he was able to do just that. Joseph Eggers Jr. served as an infantry combatant in World War II and in Korea. Then he served in Vietnam in the 1960s as a senior staff engineer. And he'd been living for a few months in hospice in the low country of South Carolina. And He knew his days were limited, so he had just one last wish at age 95. And that last wish, he wanted to go to the nearby beach where he had spent so much time with his family at Hilton Head. And although he retired to the town in 1984, living there after his wife passed away at age 63, he wanted to go back to the beach, and a lovely beach it is there at Hilton Head in the Beaufort County area of South Carolina. So his eldest daughter, Jan, fulfilled his wish. They were able to get him out of the hospice and he hadn't been outside in over a year and a half, Jan told the local Island Packet newspaper. She said he didn't open his eyes, but he knew he was in a special place. He had moved, Jan had moved to Hilton Head to be with her father when his health worsened and something that she was over the last year because of the pandemic not really able to see with him, be with him very much at all. 
So the man was able to go to the beach and enjoy at least the sounds of the beach hitting the shore and more and just seemed at peace, she said. She said he could, her father, the World War II and Korea War veteran, could smell the salt air and hear the ocean, felt the sun on his skin, she said, and his little gray hairs were blowing in the wind. The very next day, Joseph Eagers Jr. passed away at 95 years old. But again, a lot of us with elderly parents, elderly folks we care for, this is the kind of goodbye that we only can hope for if they have a chance to have something this pleasant and this kind of a wish happen to them if there's any way. And Again, this is a World War II veteran. We have so many of those who've passed away here recently. I know they're in their 90s at least. And uh, we don't have too many left, to be honest with you. So this is just another of our greatest generation that has left us. But still, a great thing that his daughter was able to get him out and see that beautiful South Carolina beach before he passed away. Virginia Military Institute in Lexington, Virginia, VMI, is going to have their first female regimental commander. It's the first woman to lead VMI in its 182-year history. Cadet Casey Meredith is going to take on the role of the regimental commander, the top cadet, in the next school year. And when she assumes the role of commander, she will be responsible to the Commandant of Cadets for the training, appearance, discipline, health, welfare, and the morale of the Virginia Military Institute Corps of Cadets, which has roughly 1,500. I might be a little bit off on my numbers here of VMI, but yeah, they're going to have their first female commander about four years ago. VMI's brothers, or should I say in this case, sister institution, the Citadel in Charleston, South Carolina, had their first female regimental commander. So our two southern military colleges now have achieved having their first female regimental commanders. This follows the 1990s, where both of these schools involved in a Supreme Court decision of which the Supreme Court ruled that single gender institutions that are publicly funded cannot have a single gender. And so they had to, they were forced to accept women, both VMI and the Citadel in South Carolina. And now VMI having its first female regimental commander and a, a historic thing there at Virginia Military Institute. AT&T is going to combine with CNN, HBO, and more with Discovery and they're all combining in a $43 billion deal. That's right, a combination, a marriage, if you will, of get your pen and paper out, AT&T combining with CNN, HBO, TNT, and TBS. And they're doing this $43 billion deal with Discovery, the owner of lifestyle networks, including the Food Network and HDTV, faced with cord cutting and incursion by streaming services, Major broadcast media companies have retrenched and are looking to go together through mergers. The deal announced today would create a separate media company with households increasingly abandoning the cable and satellite TV choices. It's another, I guess, counter to Netflix and more. In the all-stock deal, AT&T is going to receive $43 billion in a combination of cash, debt securities, and Warner Media's retention of certain debt. AT&T, if you got a stock or a share in that, AT&T shareholders will receive stock representing 71% of the new company, and Discovery stockholders will own 29% of this new company. 
pretty confusing, but perhaps a good day on Wall Street because of this big announcement of these companies joining forces across the country's media landscape. And lastly here in our headlines here to start out hour one today of y'all, Johnny Cash all over the weekend, the man in black honored in Starkville, Mississippi, as he now has a new marker on the Mississippi Country Music Trail. John R. Cash, and he got this in Starkville, Mississippi, where one night in 1965, John R. Cash spent the night in the Octiba Hall County Jail. May 11, 1965, Cash was arrested for public drunkenness after he was found picking flowers at a private home after a show at Mississippi State University. He spent the night locked up, and that served as an inspiration for his song, Starkville City Jail. He performed the song for inmates at San Quentin Jail in 1969, and it's included on the album Live at San Quentin. The mayor of Starkville, Lynn Spruill, said, I'm so delighted that Mr. Cash did not realize it was the Octibahaw County Jail. That wouldn't have been as good of a song. I'm delighted that he called it Starkville. So I didn't know that. He he wrote the song, but it's not actual true to the real-life story of him spending a night in the Octibahaw County Jail. And Cash ended up getting a pardon for that arrest in 2007 at the inaugural Johnny Cash Flower Picking Festival. The mayor said the new marker highlights an experience that Cash believed was the beginning of his road to personal redemption. Johnny Cash, out of Arkansas, sold 90 million records worldwide during his career, including that included the formats of country and some rock and roll, a little blues, folk, and gospel along the way. And now if you go to Starkville, you'll see this great marker there. I think it's just off of the Starkville City Jails where you'll see this. Or Starkville. It's off the Octibahawk County Jail. What am I saying? And uh, you can take that in and take a nice photo. Marty, Ca- Marty, Marty Stewart, who was married to Johnny Cash's daughter at one time, Cindy, was on hand in Starkville over the weekend for this unveiling at the corner of Mississippi Highway 182 and Jackson Street in Starkville. And this is the 35th marker on the Mississippi Country Music Trail. If you haven't had a chance to go to Mississippi, they have a country music trail. They have a blues trail. And the blues trail, those are very numerous across the Magnolia State. They even have one in Memphis, to be honest with you. I've seen it right there off of Beale Street. Yeah, but they're blue. The blues trail markers are blue, and the country music trail markers are red. And a lot of great country music artists call Mississippi home, whether it's Tammy Wynette or perhaps you are considering Jimmy Rogers, the father of country music from Meridian, Mississippi, Faith Hill, and more. The country music trail is certainly a good option if you're looking for something to do across the Southland in a music way. And in a music way, here's that fellow Johnny Cash to take us to break. When we come back, we'll take a look at some sports headlines from across the southeast. And we still have some more news items we'll get to as we roll on with today's y'all show. It's Talk with a Southern Accent. We'll be right back. Take it away, Jr. and June. I'm going to Jackson. I'm going to mess around.
And we're back on Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. And a big weekend at Swayze Field as the Mississippi Land Sharks were swimming high. Got a series win over the number two Vanderbilt Commodores. We'll talk a little college baseball in just a few minutes. This is our Y'all Sports Spotlight here to get your week up and going. The big news nationwide is the start of the NBA playoffs. And we'll tell you briefly what's happening in the association. The regular season wound down over the weekend, and we are going to have for the first time this play-in tournament. We've got a couple of Southern teams that will be suiting up starting on Tuesday as it's a little confusing, so bear with me as I do my best to kind of share how this is going to work out here in the NBA postseason. So instead of having your traditional eight teams representing each conference, the NBA has expanded it now to have a total of 10 teams, but you're not truly in it unless you're one of those eight teams. So what they're doing is this play-in tournament. So here's what's going to happen. On Tuesday night, the seven-seed Boston Celtics are going to be playing the Washington Wizards. If whoever wins that game advances on to be the seventh seed in the NBA, and they're in the postseason. If you lose that game, then you have one more game to have to win in order to advance into the playoffs. So the loser still has life, and they will be playing the winner of the 9 and 10 seeds. Now, the 9 seed is the Indiana Pacers, the 10 seed, the Charlotte Hornets. If you lose that game between 9 and 10, you're done. Your season's over with. But the winner comes out of that game and takes on the loser of the 7-8 game, and then that winner advances to be the 8th seed in the NBA playoffs. Makes sense to you? A little confusing, but it's just another way to give a participation trophy, if you will, to some of these NBA players. So what it means, I think there's 15 teams in every conference. 10 of the 15 teams have some kind of postseason life. So two-thirds of the NBA teams have a chance to go to the playoffs or a chance to still win. Five teams are sitting on the sidelines now. And that's where you have on the east side. It's the Hornets and Pacers and the Celtics and the Wizards in this play-in tournament starting Tuesday. On Wednesday, in the west side of things, your seventh seed, the Los Angeles Lakers, they have a long way to go if they want to get an NBA championship again. They're going to be playing the Golden State Warriors. That's the 7-8. Again, if you win that game, you move on to be the seventh seed in the playoffs. Loser still has one game left to be able to get into this real playoff system. The 9-10 game will be the San Antonio Spurs playing in the Bluff City against the Memphis Grizzlies. And again, that winner still isn't in. They have to win that game between the Grizzlies and Spurs to be able to move on to take on the loser of the 7-8 game. Then, if they win that game, they'll be in the playoffs where they'll be taking on the Phoenix Suns. That is the way this thing breaks down. The winner of that first game, let's say the Celtics, Wizards, whoever wins that moves on to take on the Brooklyn Nets as the number two seed Brooklyn Nets. The number one seeds, by the way, in both conferences, the 76ers were the number one seed at the conclusion of the regular season. The Utah Jazz ended up getting the top seed in the West Conference of the NBA. College football played Sunday. Did y'all check it out? If you didn't, I told you to. I knew it was going to be a good football game. Now, whether there in Frisco got in the way, lightning, thunderstorms and such, I love the fact that they shortened their halftime to only three minutes. But a great game between Sam Houston State and South Dakota State for the FCS 
spring continuation of the fall football season. They didn't have the full season for one double A, and so they had their FCS national championship game on ABC on Sunday. And players were getting injured. Players were cursing, dropping a couple F-bombs on national TV. It was real football, to be honest with you. And Sam Houston State picks up their first national championship in program history. And in honor of the Huntsville, Texas Bay School, here's that fight song of the Bearcats. Way to go, Sam Houston State. A great win coming back in the last minute to get a touchdown four hours up the road in Frisco. Take it away, Bearcat Band. Yeah, 10-yard pass with only 16 seconds left. Eric Schmeid to Adeye and the Bearcats of Sam Houston get the big win and the first in Huntsville, at least, for Coach K.C. Keeler, who had won a national championship at Delaware back in the early 2000s. And now he becomes the first FCS coach to ever win national championships at two different schools. A tremendous win for Sam Houston out of the Southland Conference, and they knock off the Jackrabbits of South Dakota State. Now, for the loser, South Dakota State, the Jacks, they don't have to sit around crying too much because college football season for the 2021 fall season is only going to be three months away. We're going to have football being played three months from right now, so I know it stings a little, Jackrabbit fans and all you other fans whose spring football came to an end prior to this past weekend but you're going to have football, you're going to have practice start in about two months, and you'll have your actual game starting for FCS and SCC and ACC and everybody else out there in only three months. All your football fans, it's going to, and it looks like we're going to have 100% capacity for most everybody playing football this year. So it, it's going to be good. I'm telling you, get ready for football let's talk a little college baseball over the weekend arkansas gets the series win on rocky top they took two or three against the tennessee vols in fact a credit to abc while watching abc i think on saturday i saw at the bottom of the screen an update on the tennessee arkansas baseball game on the little scroll at the bottom of the abc broadcast i thought that was pretty impressive to see college baseball get that kind of attention i'm so used now to seeing abc and espn give soccer of some league i've never heard of from some country i've never heard of the kind of attention on their little scroll thing at the bottom and college baseball getting a little love i love it all right arkansas gets two or three arkansas your number one team in the country vanderbilt went on the road to oxford and they end up losing the series to Coach Mike Bianco's Land Sharks as Vanderbilt lost the first game. They came back and won convincingly in the second game, 13-2. But in the rubber game, the Sharks win 13-10 over the number two Vanderbilt Commodores. The Mississippi State Tigers lost their Mississippi State, the Mississippi State Bulldogs lost their series to the Missouri Tigers. Mizzou, which is not one of the best teams in the Southeastern Conference, took two of three against Coach Lamonis's bullies. The Texas Longhorns enjoyed a weekend off. I'm not sure how that happens, but they did not play this past weekend. The TCU Horned Frogs ended up 
having a series loss to Louisiana Monroe. A big upset there for this team who's struggling. They lost their series to Texas the prior weekend. Texas Tech won two of three against Oklahoma. The Florida Gators were able to win their series against the Georgia Bulldogs. East Carolina, they won their series against Cincinnati. And lastly, from the South, the Louisiana Tech Bulldogs were able to get a series win against Texas San Antonio. And they also played last week against LSU in a midweek game in number 14. Louisiana Tech got beat pretty bad to the Bayou Bengals in midweek action. But that's a quick look at some college baseball, the latest college baseball poll. The results are in from D1 Baseball. Arkansas hangs on to the number one spot. Texas, which did not even play this weekend, moves up to number two. Vanderbilt drops from two to three. Tennessee's checking in at number four. Texas Tech, five. You got Florida at nine. Mississippi State drops down to number 10 in the latest poll. ECU is 11. TCU, 12. Mississippi is sitting at 13. Louisiana Tech, 14 in the latest D1 baseball poll. Florida State is 16. Southern Miss moves to 19. The South Carolina Gamecocks come off the mat. They're at 21 this week. The 49ers of UNC Charlotte, 22. The ACC's NC State Wolfpack check in at number 23 in the latest college baseball poll. And that's a list of some of your top 25 teams in college baseball. Lastly, as we wrap up our sports look from the past weekend, hey, congratulations to Korean golfer K.H. Lee. He picks up his first PGA Tour win as he won the Byron Nelson in the Dallas area over the weekend, a tournament that had to be moved up because of bad weather coming into the Metroplex. And he outlasted. Louisiana golfer Sam Burns and gets a couple of stroke victory moving on now to compete in the PGA Championship which is taking place this weekend at Kiowa Island in South Carolina. In fact on Thursday's y'all show we'll be joined by golf insider Jason Nall of College Tour X and he's going to help us preview this new major golf tournament taking place the PGA Championship from the South Carolina Low Country and if you're a golf fan it's a big week with this major event being held right here in the south this weekend and that will be on the thursday y'all show when jason nall drops by when we come back on the y'all show we're going to have a quick look at some southern history news so stick around for a little history lesson on the show that's all about the south stay tuned We're wrapping up this first hour of Talking About the South with your host, John Rawl, the general of all things Southern. And this is a little Southern history spotlight here to wrap up this first hour. Today marks the anniversary of the decision on Brown versus Board of Education. 
Did you know it's actually Brown versus Board of Education of Topeka? Yeah, Topeka, Kansas was the city that the Brown versus Board of Education had to, this was all about, not a southern city. And this, of course, was a landmark ruling about racial segregation in public schools and the Supreme Court on this day in 1954 deciding in favor of Brown in this case as it was a big decision, a unanimous 9-0 decision that stated that separate educational facilities are inherently unequal and therefore the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution was in violation. The decision's 14 pages did not spell out any sort of method for ending racial segregation in schools, and the court's second decision, Brown 2, in 1955, only ordered states to desegregate with all deliberate speed. A very confusing time. This case originated in 1951 when the public school district in Topeka, Kansas, refused to enroll the daughter of a local black resident named Oliver Brown at the school closest to their home, instead requiring her to ride a bus to a segregated black elementary school farther away. And this court case went through the courts, and then it was on this date, in 1954, Brown versus Board of Education was decided upon. I had no idea it was a unanimous decision in that case from 1954, some 67 years ago. And on this week in, let's see, I don't know, what, what was the actual year of this? Geesh, I missed the date. But Charles Lindbergh landed in Paris. That's all y'all need to know. It was this week in whatever year it was, 1920-something, that Charles Lindbergh landed in Paris, France, a successful transatlantic flight for the native Michigander who was born in 1902 and one of our most famous aviators. And he was successful in his effort to land in France. Now, the reason I'm bringing Lindbergh up today on today's Y'all Show is his connections to the Southeast as he, throughout his early aviation career, did a lot of training and a lot of flying as he was in America's Georgia at Sutherfield training in 1923. Then he spent some time in Montgomery, Alabama for his solo cross-country flight training and also spent some time doing a night flight training in Lake Village, Arkansas. And it was on this week in 1924, I think I've got this right, that he went across the pond and landed in Paris, France, and ended up getting the big prize. I think he got a lot of money for the successful nonstop transatlantic flight. He got 25,000 buckaroos when he successfully landed in Paris, France. But again, training a lot in the southeast Charles Lindbergh, and we wanted to point that out. Born this week in 1768, y'all remember when she was born? Dolly Todd Madison, wife of President James Madison. Did you know she was born in Guilford County, North Carolina? She was back in 1960, 1768. rather. She died in 1849 at the age of 81 years old, but married to James Madison in 1794. And, of course, she was the pre- when he was president, the Washington, D.C. area and the White House were burnt by British troops during the War of 1812. But, yeah, she was the first lady, and she was born this week. And we honor Dolly Madison, one of our more famous first ladies of 
the United States. Way to go, Dalai M. And happy birthday to you. She was born on May the 20th, so her birthday, a few days away. But we wanted to go ahead here on today's Y'all Show and recognize this famous First Lady of our land. Well, that will wrap up our first hour of y'all talking about everything Southern. Hope you enjoyed that. We've got, hey, if you like that, we've got a whole other hour of y'all coming your way. So hang on. Our Takapola storyteller, Jerry Short, will be on in just a few minutes to get the fun going, talking a little bit about the bridge over troubled waters. No, actually the bridge over Memphis, uh, bridge over Mississippi River in Memphis. What's going on there? Closed indefinitely. All that and more as y'all talk with a Southern accent continues on this Monday. Thanks for sticking with us. This is Talking About the South. We do that each and every day, and we do it on great radio stations and on podcast options across the land. I'm John Rawl. This is y'all. And thank you again for being with us as we get this week up and going. Boy, we got a lot to get to throughout the entire week. We got a lot to get to here in this first hour, or rather second hour, of Talking About the South. We already got one hour done. Now we're at that middle portion of the show, and we still got another hour after that one. Oh, it's fun, so you better just get ready for a good Southern conversation. That's what we do. And if you want to be part of the conversation, our number is 803-816-1170. I say again there, soldiers, 803-816-1170. It's so easy to get in touch with us. It's so easy to text our line there, same number, 803-816-1170, for you to get in touch with y'all we want to hear from you we want to know what's going on we'll have open phone lines in hour three of today's y'all show so feel free to call and share some good news about the southland we will have jerry short sharing some good news in the next segment he is the takapola storyteller and he'll be on to talk about the bridge over the mississippi river in memphis and how it's being shut down and is this a recurring problem throughout the country yes it looks like it is with infrastructure something that should have been fixed a long time ago. The talking heads in Washington, D.C. always say they're going to put money toward some of this infrastructure, and it just seems sometimes it ain't quite there. They're putting that money on other things, and we'll find out why when we talk to the Takapola Storyteller in our uh, in our next segment of the Y'all Show. We also have coming up in Hour 3 today, Dukes of Hazard star, Smallville actor John Schneider, country music number one singer John Schneider. He's going to be on thanks to an encore from an interview from The Real McCoy Show that some of our great stations across the Southland carry. And we're going to play a little bit of this as John Schneider talks about an upcoming event this weekend outside of Camden, Tennessee. So enjoy that conversation in hour three when we get to that portion of today's Y'all show our email address. If you want to drop us a note, we would welcome that. Mail, M-A-I-L, mail at y'all.com is the email address. Just so easy for you to get in touch with us here at the Y'all Show. Looking over a few of the headlines before we get to a few new headlines to share with you in the second hour of today's Y'all Show. Today is tax day. Oh, if you haven't filed, you better get going. 
And if you owe federal taxes and don't file a tax return or extension before midnight tonight, you're going to incur interest and penalties. The penalty for not filing your taxes is usually 5% of any unpaid tax you would report on your return. The maximum penalty is 25%. So please file. Please avoid giving the government any more money that they probably don't deserve. To avoid an underpayment penalty, you will usually have to pay at least 90% of the total you owe for the current tax year. So helpful information and a helpful reminder that you better go get that stuff done. And I'm sure many of you have celebrated the fact that you've already done. In fact, all you who do things the way you should be doing, you would not have had to take advantage of this extension as The extension was pushed back to today, May 17th, from the traditional April 15th or so. Usually they've been kind of giving us an extra day or two in April. But this year it's been pushed to May. Last year it was pushed to August, I think. August, it could have been July. Uh, I've already forgotten. It seems like a million years ago now, 2020. But, yes, we have been blessed by the fact that the IRS gave us an extra month. We just need to do our part and file and Give uh, Uncle Sam all the money that he's owed so that he can then ask for some more. But I'm not too mad at Uncle Sam. He's been actually giving us a little money here in the last year, so some of us aren't too as angry as we might be. Colonial Pipeline, they say their operations in this system of line of gas that was shut down last week due to a ransomware attack. They say they're back up and going with normal operations, delivering millions of gasolines per hour to the various markets along the eastern seaboard that Colonial Pipeline, the Georgia-based company, serves. So thankfully, this appears to be fixed, and hopefully, if they haven't already dropped by several cents, we're going to see gas prices around the southeast and more come down rather quickly Scary incident over the weekend in Birmingham. Four Alabama officers hurt after an argument over a dog ends in a deadly shooting in the Birmingham area. Thankfully, it looks like all four officers are going to be okay. But two officers were indeed shot in Birmingham, shot at the 1000 block of Richard Arrington Jr. Boulevard. And two other officers were grazed by bullets and did not have as serious of injuries But it looks like two officers were indeed shot and are going to recover that, according to the Birmingham Police Department, in a shooting over the weekend of which at least one person killed in this fight of bullets in the Magic City. Speaking of police, police salaries, the officers' salaries around the country, ranging from 19,000 to 131,000, according to data out from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Mississippi officers, they are making the lowest amount per average around the country. Mississippi law enforcement, just over $37,000 a year, according to statistics provided to the feds. I'm trying to track down which police department. It looks like Puerto Rico, actually. Officers in Aguadilla, Isabella, Puerto Rico, make $18,980 a year. Not a lot there on the island of Puerto Rico. Although, living in Puerto Rico, you probably could make up the difference for not having as much money because it just looks like, I haven't been there, it looks like a lovely place to call home. 
and so they're not making as much there as they might be making, let's say, in California, where many of those make over a hundred thousand dollars a year. Update: Speaking of law enforcement, law enforcement in Houston, Texas, able to find that missing tiger. That tiger now been shipped upstream to the Dallas area, where he's in an animal sanctuary. But yeah, for over a week, this tiger's been on the lamb in Houston. Now it's been captured, and everybody is happy. Nobody got hurt. Tiger now in a good home and not necessarily running around the streets of Houston, Texas. President Donald Trump's going to be in North Carolina in early June. He's headed there to speak to the Republican State Convention, and it'll be the first time he's given a speech outside of Mar-a-Lago in quite some time. He last gave a speech outside of Mar-a-Lago in late February when he spoke to CPAC in Orlando. So he hasn't traveled outside of Florida for sure for a big speech, and he's going to be doing that when he goes to Greenville, North Carolina, June 5th for the Republican State Convention. So a lot of people there in North Carolina ready for the 45th president to show up and give them some inspiration, if you will. And all the haters will be there in full force, I promise you. VMI in Lexington, Virginia, is going to have its first female commander of the Corps of Cadets. Again, this historic school, wonderful college in Lexington, Virginia. Virginia Military Institute's first female regimental commander in 182-year history of this famed military school in Lexington, Virginia. Casey Meredith will be the commander of the cadets there, and she will have this regimental commander role. She'll be the military commander of the Corps, responsible to the commandant of cadets for the training, appearance, discipline, health, welfare, and morale of the Virginia Military Institute's Corps of Cadets. Raw Virginia Mill, go cadets. They've got their first female commander about four years ago. The Citadel, VMI's fellow Southern Military College, had its first female regimental commander. So you can call it progress if you want. You can call it just uh, historic, but a female commander at VMI. A big announcement from the business world today, AT&T combining with CNN, HBO, and several other media outlets with combining with Discovery in a $43 billion deal. Massive operation. All this coming from the fact that many are faced with cord cutting and other incursions by streaming services and these major broadcast companies all uniting and creating even a bigger bigger presence and i don't know if this is good or not we'll have to find out but yeah at&t now teamed up it looks like with cnn hbo discovery 43 billion dollars a lot of money there your florida dumb idiot crazy person of the day melody carr is blaming being on her fact that she's drunk and blaming that on the fact that she's had a disorderly arrest on a jealous motel manager. Okay, pay attention here. This woman arrested for disorderly intoxication, claiming she was targeted by a jealous hotel manager. Well, that's just good enough for me. Let her go. Ocala police responded to an incident of someone trespassing in the pool of the Country Inn and Suites. And this woman was reportedly wearing a bikini and hanging out with her dog and then left after being questioned by hotel staff. Then 
A investigator found 42-year-old Melody Carr at another nearby hotel, the La Quinta Inn and Suites, a high-end hotel, if you will. She became verbally aggressive and told officers to leave her alone. She then claimed that the first hotel had given her trouble because the manager was, quote, jealous that her body looked good. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Uh, yeah, I can only imagine the love sparks going off there at the La Quinta Inn and the Country Inn and Suites around Ocala. Carr claimed that she had been at the Country Inn and Suites with her boyfriend, but she left after getting into a fight with him. And then the situation escalated when police told Carr she needed to leave the second hotel or she would be charged with trespassing. She then hopped the fence and pulled her white Mustang convertible into a nearby BP gas station, hitting the parking bumper. The gas station's owner told Carr she couldn't keep her car there, after which she got angry and left. Police then arrested Miss Carr on suspicion of intoxication. Gee, didn't see that one coming. And she admitted to having a drink earlier in the morning, but in the morning, uh, but couldn't explain why she smelled of alcohol or was visibly intoxicated. Your your goofy Florida villain of the day, Melody Carr, Ocala, Florida. And that is a quick look at some news headlines from across the South. Hey, next hour. We're going to have, for you Tennesseans out there, a trivia contest on Tennessee that you better pass or you'll be deported to some good states for Tennesseans to have to be deported to. Uh, Kentucky, maybe. That would be a good good thing for Tennesseans to have the penalty of having to be shipped north. Uh, we'll have that. That comes to us courtesy of Nashville TV station WKRN, which is celebrating the Volunteer State's 225th birthday in a very special kind of contest of trivia questions when we come back on the y'all show our takapola storyteller jerry short is going to be standing by and we're going to have a fun time talking to the mouth of the south all that coming up on talk with a southern accent With a southern accent, we are y'all and a little Marty Robbins. And what a wonderful time of year here on this show that covers the South to hear a flashback like that. And there's a reason we have that flashback as we're joined now on Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent with John Rawl, General John Rawl, CSA Certified Southern American. We're joined by another CSA Certified Southern American. It's the Takapola Storyteller, Jerry Short, on with us right now. We're going to go to Takapola 
and relive some of the good old memories with Jerry Short. And also, we're going to talk about the crisis that's going on in Memphis right now with the I-40 bridge being shut down. This is not the first time a major thoroughfare across the southeast is shut down because of infrastructure woes. And we'll get Jerry's take on what he knows about similar problems that we've faced as a region in terms of our road repairs and bridge repairs. That will be coming up in the upcoming segment. But right now, let's go to Takapola, where the storyteller awaits. Hello, Jerry. Yeah. How's it going, guy? Oh, it's going good. I'm outside today. Is that all right? You're sounding, looking good, sounding good. You you just go wherever you got to go there on beautiful Takapola. Uh, you heard us, you might have heard us playing a little G, uh, Marty Robbins coming in, a little white sport coat. Does that does that song there bring back any memories for you? Well, if I was a big bopper or somebody, you know, that uh, I wouldn't have had anybody to dance with, but I could wear a white sport coat back then. <laughs> I'd have to wear a white trench coat, a raincoat, big coat. <laughs> Jerry, I wanted to play that song because I had something that happened to me over the weekend, and I don't normally come on this show to brag about myself, but I'm going to pat myself on the back just just slightly because I could have done more. I could have definitely done more. But uh, I was out to eat by myself on Saturday, and I was not in the most fancy restaurant in town eating I would often say this is the kind of restaurant it's perfectly the standard to wear blue jeans and T-shirts and ball caps, frankly. But they got good food, and that's why I chose to go there and have a nice little uh, less than $20 ribeye. And that's not common to be found in the southeast this time. And while I was in there, Jerry, having my uh, romantic meal of one, a couple (laughs) walks in, a, a high school couple that appeared, and... I can't prove it, but she was all decked out, and he was all decked out in his fancy suit and white tennis shoes. Jerry, I think they had just come from the prom. Well, that's possible. Well, I'm I'm pretty sure that's what they had been to, the prom. We're in that time of year here in the South where people are having the proms, and I just – I did something that I don't normally do, Jerry. I was a nice guy, and but I, I could have been nicer. When I left the building, the restaurant, I left a nice portion of their bill I paid for, unbeknownst to them. And I could have, I didn't pay, I'm sure I didn't pay for the full amount of their meal, but I just felt like it was a cool thing to do to, to give this couple 20 bucks. That's what I gave the, uh, well, the, cash, the cashier, I said, here, put this toward that couple over there. They're out having a good time. And uh, I just felt like it was a cool thing to do. And I'll tell you why I did it, Jerry. When I was in high school in South Carolina, I was so proud of South Carolina. In my senior year, a cute girl had moved into my high school from North Carolina, and she wanted to go to the prom with me, Jerry. And I refused to take her to the prom because she was from North Carolina. What? Yeah. That Isn't that stupid? I was an LSU girl and I married one. I know, but I just I just had that arrogance and I'm like, I can't take her to the prom. She's from North Carolina. And looking yeah. back, I might have traumatized that young lady. She might have a picture of me on the wall that she spits at every day. I have no idea. But how stupid of me. Yeah, that was that wasn't exactly real bright. No. You know? and, so I just didn't go to the prom. 
I, I didn't go to the prom when I was in high school. And, and looking back, it's probably something I should have done, which is part of the reason I gave the, the money toward that couple. So I got to ask the Takapolo Storyteller, which this segment's not about me. It's about the Takapolo Storyteller. Prom memories for you. Did you go? What are some of the fun memories for the storyteller? Well, you know, uh, talked about that not too long ago and uh, with people. And uh, I don't think we had one. We, we had uh, uh, junior-senior banquets, which I would compare that similar, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'd dress up for that and do that. Before the prom, you know, uh, we didn't do that. Now, my kids have done it, so I've been through it. Grandkids have done it, been through it. So uh, I can talk to you a little bit about the prom. Well, that's one reason I wanted to bring it up to you, because I know you – may have gone and you wouldn't you weren't quite as arrogant as i was as a youngster but you've been the father you've been the father of a daughter who's gone to prom and it can't be cheap to send a daughter to the prom well i tell you what gets uh cotillion is pretty bad to also and i've had to go through cotillions with my daughter and my granddaughter and uh i i, I you know that's kind of promise um because at those you have uh you have dates, you have tuxedos, and you have uh, pretty expensive evening gowns. So uh, I, I, that's, I, I would equate that with a prom. And, you know, some people do proms different this day and time. I heard you say white tennis shoes. Yeah, the, guy, the young guy had on his nice suit, but he put on white tennis shoes with his tuxedo. <laughs> yeah. I'm wondering if he went on. Well, I guess he maybe could. Maybe he was really dancing hard or something. I don't know. That sounds a little bit unusual. The white tennis shoes, they, and they were bleach white. They looked they just like like they just come off the shelf. Well, he may have bought them just for that then. He might have. <laughs> Did he have a white tuxedo? Uh, it was somewhere along that. I didn't study at his outfit too closely, but uh, you know, if he did have to buy the tennis shoes, well, he's twenty dollars richer because of that expense. That's true. So you you know you you got him in pretty good shape. Uh, that's pretty impressive. Well, uh, I'm proud of you over here in Taco Pole. Well, I, like I uh, said, I I'm not bragging too much because I didn't like tell the waitress, "Hey, let me just take care of their whole meal." I didn't go quite that far. Maybe I should have, but I just well, felt like it was probably a nice thing to do, especially since he was taking her to maybe not the nicest place in town. I just, I don't know. They suckered me in with their sparkling attire. I thought it was a nice thing to do. Well, you went back, you know, you went back a few years in history and you grabbed a hold of the way things used to be. And, hey, that's pretty impressive. Well, one reason I did it is because I didn't I didn't have a $20 expenditure when I was 17 and 18 years old on a prom. So I felt like it's my time to pay up. And, and, uh, and I'm and not going to still- look... Yeah, you're still thinking about how you messed up with that North Carolina Tar Heel girl. I know, I know. How stupid of me. And I thought you might get a kick out of how stupid I was back then. Yeah, I don't uh, think I'd turn down the Tar Heel. I wouldn't have turned down anybody from anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have that many offers. Well, you know, times have changed, Jerry. And yeah. I have that philosophy now that I don't care what state, territory, or even hemisphere you're from. If you're uh, – <laughs> If you're somebody that I might have a good time with, I'm I'm all for it. But at that time in my life, I was so uh, I was so I guess you oh, was a little uppity. I was so uh, uppity and looked down on those from North Carolina for some reason. I don't know well, why. 
like I said, I wouldn't have dated an LSU girl. But mm. when I was 18, I found out, hey, that's not all bad. So I ended up dating lots of LSU girls. Yeah, I, I'd Is love that- to have an LSU girl right now. Go Tigers. So, yeah, hey. prom, it, it's going on for all of you out there listening or watching who have gone through the prom here this year. Congratulations. Many of the proms of 2020 did not happen because of that uh, virus. And so I think a lot of proms this year might have even opened it up to members from the class of 2020 to come be a part of it. And that's a, a neat thing. But uh, I know they could do it on graduations, too. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of that going on. Yeah. I know right. it's a special time of year and we got proms and graduations. And then you said cotillions. Now, Jerry, we might have people tuning us in right now who have no idea what exactly a cotillion is and me being the uppity person i was towards south carolina well frankly i'm just white trash redneck when it really matters and so i never was part of a cotillion society so what the heck is a cotillion well a cotillion is it kind of goes back to the old south it's a french terminology and it goes back to the big dance and a big uh it's kind of like debutantes coming out Mm-hmm. You know, they'll come out of their cotillion and they'll be escorted by uh, such and such. And it'll only take so many each year. It's kind of like getting in a sorority or a fraternity at a university. It's similar to that, but it's on more of a high school and a save. It starts at about 14 years old, but they'll actually start. Some of them will start younger than that, teaching kids how to have adequate and how to uh, mix in society. Probably goes back to the old days where, you know, uh, that was more really more of a thing to do. Even though where my where my ch- my children live now, it's big in that town, and so every year, I know my daughter was in charge of the decorations this year, and uh, for her daughter, but her daughter was debutante last year, but she still they still come out and they still be escorted, and they come out and they have a big dance afterwards and they have a nice meal. So uh, a good meal. So that's that's kind of a cotillion type situation. But you mentioned it get, as some cases, if not most cases, has a connection to the antebellum South. Yeah. Have you seen or heard of some cities across the South getting rid of these things? I haven't, but uh, I'm sure it probably has. And if I hadn't heard it, don't mean it hadn't happened. But it's probably coming if it hadn't. Now in our town, it hadn't been a in our town where my daughter lives in. Uh, where uh, my grandchildren live. It's, uh, we'll just call that. You're talking about South Takapola, down in South Takapola. Uh, yeah, yeah, south of south of south of the creek. You know, <laughs> you got to you got to get on the other side of the creek to do that down there. But uh, yeah, it's a big thing. And uh, like I said, even even my son, he's got he's got two boys. He ain't got he ain't got any girls. But the boys have to play a big role in it also. You know, they have to. Uh, they have to dress up and they have to wear a tuxedo or the suit. I know my son the other day was in Memphis looking for a special cut suit for his son, who is an 11th grader, to escort a 10th grade girl. So, hmm. you know, you know how it goes. No, you know, I don't know how it goes, but I'll trust you on this, sir. Yeah. Well, that's a cotillion type thing. And it's, it's kind of a coming out and it's kind of where the young kids that started learning etiquette and stuff at a real young age, they kind of show what they've learned, you know? So uh, that's uh, kind of what happens. All right. Kind of like a Southern bar mitzvah, if you will. Yeah, kind of that. But, I, you know, I equate it a lot more 
to the Greek uh, world at uh, some of these universities. Mm-hmm. Not to name any that really get big into it, but uh, Ole Miss might be one that gets kind of big into it because I had to go through that world up there also. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> I'm sure your, your wallet uh, expanded during that time. Yeah, I had to rob a few banks to get through it, but but we got through it all, and uh, and I guess we'll uh, I'll let them get through this next one with the grandkids. I hear you. We're talking with Jerry Short, the Takapolo storyteller. This is the Y'all Show. Stay where you are. When we come back, we're going to switch from talking proms and cotillions to bridges and what in the world's going on in Shelby County, Tennessee. All that is coming up next at the Y'all Show Monday edition. Rolls on. Back in for more of Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. I am your host, John Rawl. It is our time each week where we welcome in the man from Takapola, Jerry Short. He is the Takapola storyteller, and we have him on to tell us about the, the good and the bad and the ugly of the Southeast, and he goes back in the archives as well often when he's here with us. Jerry, if you weren't aware of the headlines from this last week, in addition to a Georgia-based company having a pipeline shut down affecting gas prices throughout the entire east coast and southeast of the country, we also had another catastrophe. This one might be a lot longer and maybe a lot more painful in the pocketbook and just a big inconvenience. The Hernando de Soto Bridge, which connects Memphis, Tennessee to West Memphis, Arkansas, one of the busiest bridges across the Mississippi in the entire country. It A crack was found, and it's been shut down indefinitely. So if you're having to pass through the Mid-South on Interstate 40, it is a big mess, and it's going to be going on for quite some time. We've got our Taco Polo storyteller here to tell us about what he knows about this, but also this is a recurring problem, and it just shows how vulnerable we are in terms of infrastructure, something that could have been done a long time ago. Has it been done? We haven't been building like we should have, bridges and tunnels and all the other things that a progressive so-called 21st century leader in the world that the United States is supposed to be doing. And here we see one bridge being shut down. It's going to be a big pain in the neck for quite some time. Jerry, your thoughts of what happened in Memphis and where this leaves us as a region. Well, I tell you, John, now that you mentioned all that stuff, I had a lot of time to think about it, but I was thinking about it while you were talking. And, uh, you know, that bridge that they built there, that uh, Hernando de Soto Bridge, uh, that is that is the uh, the bridge that uh, they, they'll put two uh, uh, ends on it first, and then they'll cable it, and then they'll start hanging stuff to it. And they made that – it's shaped in the form of an M. I think I 
remember uh, a professor at Memphis State when they built that bridge, probably in the early 70s, if I'm thinking right. Probably built it about 72, 71, 73, does it? I think it was built in 72. Okay. So uh, he made the uh, comment at the time that it would be too much weight for the center, where the center of the M comes down on those pilings. So uh, I think that may have had, could possibly have had some. Now, uh, I think it's a crack in one of the uh, one of the beams right now, and that beam, you know, if it could go, the whole bridge could go. I assume because I've known of a couple instances similar to that. Uh, you know, it used to be a bridge across the Mississippi River at Greenville, and it was in a in a real sharp curve of the Mississippi River, and it got hit many times by barges and things, and they was expecting it to someday just take a lick and cave in and go down. And that's happened. And, you know, all of them aren't those same type bridges. You know, some of, some of them might just be spans. If you think about the one on I-40, I went by it uh, probably 20 years ago. I came up on the Arkansas River where it crosses in Oklahoma, and it knocked a whole section probably, uh, probably 500 yards out of it. And that, that bridge was closed a long time, half of it was. A barge it hit it, and it knocked the it knocked the pilings out from under it, and it fell in. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, there was probably 15, 17, 20 people killed there. That before they could get stopped on the interstate, they just all going to run straight off into the Arkansas River, hmm. which it's a lake there. I think if I'm uh, familiar with that area, which I am. So this yeah. is around Fort Smith. Uh, it's on beyond Fort Smith in Arkansas. I mean in Oklahoma. It's about where you turn to go up to Tulsa on that uh, around Will the, Rogers. Yeah, on what now? Way on, oh, going west. I think it's over there. It's close to uh, Aminoke from Muskogee. Mm-hmm. It's in that area there, and uh, that's where the Arkansas River comes down after it comes from Tulsa and comes on down, and uh, it knocked it completely out. And those things have happened in other places when they. You know, that bridge at Greenville I was talking about a while ago, I think it was put up in the 40s, and I remember people talking about an airplane actually flying into it. But, you know, the structure, they were steel, and I don't know if they were more sound, but uh, in Memphis, like you mentioned a while ago, they're rerouting them around that uh, old Harahan Bridge. Which I-55 is Bridge. It's the Interstate 55. Of course, it wasn't when it was built. Probably built in the twenties or thirties. I don't know. It's a pretty old bridge. I used to go out there like a fool sometime and uh, walk the beams on one of the railroads. It had two railroads parallel to it. That's pretty and, dumb. Uh, yeah, I enjoyed that. But <laughs> till they'd run me off. But uh, it's got also a pedestrian bridge on it now too. So it's carrying a lot of weight and a lot of traffic, and it's carrying two trains. It's kind of like down in Louisiana, the Hugh P. Long Allen Bridge. Allen being the next governor after Hugh P. Long. And he built a lot of bridges down there. It's kind of like in West Virginia, everything's birds. But you go down there in that bridge in New Orleans, it goes so high. I think it's about 500 feet down to the uh, river uh, flow from the top of that bridge. You're talking right at the city? The city one, yeah. Yeah. Hugh P. Long Bridge. But no, they had another one. I'm sorry. The first one, well, Hugh P. Long is the same way. But the Hugh P. Long Bridge is the one on. uh, what it went by Fast Domino Club, Carrollton, I believe. 
which would have been old uh, Highway 190 in New Orleans, coming out of downtown New Orleans, coming coming off of Canal Street. But uh, that bridge had uh, it had two trains on each side. It had a train on the left side and the right side, and a uh, I believe it was a six lane bridge. And uh, you know it's made it, and they built that other one to, uh, down at uh, New Orleans, which is really really high. You can see. I think I've heard it described before as a bridge you can see from one uh, cloud in the Gulf of Mexico to the other cloud in the Gulf of Mexico. And uh, But, you know, uh, to get back to talking about all these bridges and what can happen when they go down in infrastructure, you know, I've, I've often and for years said that this thing, uh, our enemies, and we, we're, we're building more enemies, it seems like, every day, uh, if you think about the uh, Oklahoma City uh, federal building explosion, that that was done with fertilizer and a U-Haul truck. If you parked one of those on a, every bridge up and down the Mississippi River, with Memphis being the uh, probably center of communicate of not community, of uh, commerce and being moved through that area on I forty, and like you mentioned earlier, what a how what a highway I forty is all the way from the Carolinas to doggone, uh, I think it ends in Barstow, California. But uh, anyway, uh, you could blow those bridges up, and the United States would be completely shut down. And you think about the bridges we've got. I mean, you can go all the way to St. Louis, and you come down, and then you've got another one at Carothersville. You know, you got one at, uh, I believe, where the Ohio runs in, or at Cairo, there's another bridge crossing of the Mississippi River. And it wouldn't take a lot, a lot it wouldn't take a lot of fertilizer trucks. And then you get on down here and you get Carruthers, you get this Memphis bridges and you get uh Helena uh, Arkansas Mississippi Bridge and uh you go on down you get Greenville and you get Natchez and Vicksburg and get those four or five in Louisiana. Hey, you shut America down completely. They'd never get it going if you would check these roads that lead to these bridges and how you would get back and forth to them and from them. How, you know, how could we how could we send commerce across this country? You know, you couldn't fly. We don't have enough planes. We don't have enough trains. You wouldn't be any trains. You'd blow those tracks up also. And, you know, they could take a, they could take a battalion of men and uh, shut America completely down overnight. And that would be with bridge, just uh, with our infrastructure and our bridge. Also on those bridges, you know, a lot of them have pipelines carrying oil. That are on them. Yeah. Now we drilled. I was I was doing some work for a pipeline company a few years ago, uh, security. But uh, we drilled under the Mississippi River at Vicksburg, and that's that's really unique. You come from each side and you meet, and you run a you run a forty two or thirty six inch pipe under under the river. But then the, you know the way it used to be, they had to connect them doggone uh, oil pipelines to the bridges, and they'd wrap them. But you know. You still get to that. Do you think what you'd blow up? Just think of all the danger and the damage it could be done to bridges with this infrastructure if something happened like that, you know. So we could be in a real serious situation that I don't I don't ever hear them talking about. No, and happened. another thing, Jerry, you mean we're we're kind of centering on the Memphis problem, but this is a recurring problem throughout the entire country. But just right. Memphis alone, okay, this this the Soto Bridge is fifty years old and the 
bridge that people are being routed to now, the I-55 bridge, is actually 20 years older than that one. It's 70 years old. And Memphis is one of the biggest cities in the South. I-40 is one of the most traveled interstates east to west across the entire country. How in the world could the government of the United States primarily, but also the cities and the, and the, and the states of Arkansas and Tennessee, not be pushing all these years for a massive new bridge to be built across the Mississippi there in the Memphis area. The, the bottom line is, Jerry, there's been a new interstate come into the Memphis area over the last few years, Interstate 69. But the good old government years ago decided that that thing, instead of crossing the Mississippi near Memphis, it was going to go cross somewhere north of Greenville, Mississippi, a long way away from Beale Street. Well, that's the NAFTA Highway. You familiar with NAFTA Interstate 69? In mm-hmm. DeSoto County, which is the county in Mississippi, the most northern county, they they raised they had bonds and they built that thing around them down to the casinos. Mm-hmm. And so 69 is there. You get on down in Texas, get past Houston, and go on down that way, like you're going to Victoria. You know, down there they're using they're calling the NAFTA Highway that down there. But what they did. And it's a Bill Clinton was president when that came through. That's the reason they said a bridge had to be built north of Greenville, because he wanted it to go through Arkansas. And when uh, I think Trent Lott may have had a lot to do with it, when he got it changed and the, and the route came more through Mississippi and down through the Mississippi Delta and old Highway 61 became the four lane, which they've already done all the way to Vicksburg. But they want them to cross and turn now around Cleveland, Mississippi, and go across the uh, swamp north of uh, – it's in the very northern part of Arkansas and uh, come in there and then go back. You mean in the southeast southeast corner down there? Yeah, catching Shreveport. That way they catch catch some of Arkansas with that uh, that, uh, highway, NAFTA highway also. And that bridge – look, they're building a bridge. You know, a bridge fell in out by my farm. Mm-hmm. And that's, that keeps me from going back to the farm right now and living. But um, that bridge is costing $17 million. It was built when the Corps of Engineers put uh, Grenada Lake in in 1950. And at that, and I noticed the price of it then was 800 and something thousand dollars. And it's a $17 million bridge today. That's from 19, uh, 1950 till now. So can you imagine what infrastructure would cost if you did all bridges? You know, they're building a bridge just on the regular highway south of here. And uh, I think that bridge is costing something like $6 million. And it's only across a small, what I call a small creek. Yeah, well, I mean, it's not just the cost. Jerry, these things end up being so darn lengthy for the repairs. And I want to bring in a bridge from the eastern portion of the southeast as a bridge that I traveled over and scared me, that's the scariest bridge I've ever been across, the old Grace Bridge in Charleston, South Carolina, that connected Charleston to Mount Pleasant. That's the oh, yeah. Highway 17 yeah. bridge. Do you remember that old bridge there? Yeah. Uh-huh. Pretty scary, that's, huh? Yeah, it's, it's uh, I guess 17 is the last highway to the east mm-hmm. and uh, parallels the coast there. Well, that so, bridge, there were actually two different bridges, both like side by side, 
and it was extremely narrow and and your heart was up at the top of your throat every time you went across it well after years and years of debating what to do they finally found a way to to build a replacement bridge and what they did you've got to go look at it the arthur ravenel bridge was built and when they built that bridge Instead of taking years and years of of not having a bridge to cross, they just built this massive new bridge on top of the existing old bridges. So you never lost the ability to go back and forth. You just kind of leapfrogged over the old bridge. And the Arthur Ravenel Bridge, I'm just going to say they did an amazing job building it in a very short amount of time. That bridge in South Carolina, by the way, is a total of 13,200 feet. It's very, very long. And it also has a height of 575 feet. So it's a big bridge. And if they can do there in South Carolina, that massive bridge that's quite some length and height, then we need to start doing that same process around the entire Southeast because that's the one problem that's got to get fixed. You're right. And what what that made me think of, you remember the earthquake it hit uh, Oakland and San Francisco? 1989, 1990, yeah. 91, right. somewhere in that period. 91, I'd just been out there and, and, and I just missed it, luckily. But uh, you remember, it was a two, it was a bridge similar to what you're talking about, where traffic was under a layer of, of highway mm-hmm. and it caved, caved in and killed all those people in those cars. It was in the middle part of the bridge. So, uh, you know, they had built the double deck bridge there. And as far as I know, they built a double deck bridge back. I haven't been, I don't think I've been to San Francisco since then. But uh, that's been done. And uh, I've seen it done more play Cincinnati, Ohio, across the Ohio River there. You've seen that one. You've probably been across that bridge. I have. It's a double deck deal, too. And uh, But if it's in an earthquake prone area, which Memphis is, you know, you know, right up the river from Memphis. It one of the biggest earthquakes we ever had. Mississippi River flowed backwards. Flowed it flowed up. It flowed north. Hmm. So that was in the late eighteen hundreds, and uh, they they keep saying we're due for another one in that area. So you know Memphis could be looking at something where they really they really need to construct this. I think that's one reason that they kind of overlooked the big uh, the big Hernando de Soto Bridge is because the only problem they've had with it in all the years it's been built is it kind of laid on on the, you know, the way they string those things, they don't have all the weight on one side, and it's on the other side. Well, on the, on the Arkansas side, the columns had sunk in, the, in a little bit, they thought. They shut it down for a day or two, or maybe a day. And Arkansas checked it out, got it back up, wasn't nothing wrong. That's the only problem they've ever had until this crack in the uh, beam was discovered. Yeah, And, you know, they kind of... Arkansas's got the responsibility, I understand, and, and you sure know this because you were talking about it a while ago. They have the responsibility for checking that. But for some reason, the state of Tennessee's got maintenance on it. But Arkansas had checked it here recently. But then I heard kind of a cover-up situation. You know, everything's a conspiracy theory with me. But I kind of heard where they said, hey, you know, uh, it could have happened two days after it was inspected. Maybe it didn't have that. But a guy that was on a riverboat down on the river, he's got camera pictures that he took, and he's showing a crack in it two or three months ago when he blows those uh, photos up. Gosh. So and again, that's up. another another aspect of this, that barge traffic was shut down for a few days 
Barges right. had to just sit there and wait in the Memphis area for this bridge for them to get the green light to go underneath it. Absolutely. And uh, I don't know what the hike on that one is. It's probably it's a good couple hundred, three hundred feet to the river, I'm sure. Depending on the elevation of the river, how much snow and how much rain up, up the Ohio's had and how much come out of the rock. But the Missouri comes into it, too. You know, everything feeds into it just above Memphis. Yeah. So uh, a lot of water comes down through there. Yes, and, sir. And uh, a lot of traffic comes down through there. A lot of water, so, you know, a lot of a lot of water underneath our bridge and through our bridge here, Jerry. When we get together with you each week, but we'll be following that story, and we knew that you'd have a, a little something to say about it. That's why we wanted to get the Takapola storyteller to weigh in on some current events. Yeah, try to throw a comment in there too, uh, <laughs> Jerry. Great to talk to you. We'll catch up with you okay. again next week, right here on the Y'all Show. Enjoyed it. You have a good week. Yes, sir. And I'll see you again. All right. The Takapola Storyteller, everybody, Jerry Short. And that will wrap up this section of the Y'all Show. More of the show all about the South is coming up right after this. Here's what's cooking in the South from Yell.com. I'm Kobe Bennett. Whataburger will be coming to Nashville this fall. The fast food chain, most prevalent in Texas with over 840 locations across 10 states, announced that they would be opening their first location in Nashville on 5055 Old Hickory Boulevard in Hermitage with more on the way to be set throughout Middle Tennessee next year. Whataburger is currently seeking employees for management positions, including restaurant manager, general manager, and area manager, with hiring for team positions beginning in the summer. By the end of the year, Whataburger plans to hire more than 200 employees from the local area, with a projected 1,300 workers by the end of 2022. Founded 70 years ago, Whataburger is well known for its excellent customer experience as well as 24-7 service. Look forward to their fresh, never-frozen patties hitting the grill soon. Recipes, tips, headlines, and more at y'all.com. All right, Kobe, thank you so much, and that will wrap up our number two of this, the show that covers everything Southern. Y'all talk with a Southern accent and we have got another hour of y'all headed your way y'all we've got john schneider of the dukes of hazard fame he'll be on with an interview a portion of an interview he did with grace media groups brad mccoy and the real mccoy show we'll play that as john schneider getting ready for a big weekend in camden tennessee this weekend we'll have all the details of that in hour number three we also will be sharing some sports news and notes from across the southland in hour number three our closing argument of the y'all show and of course we're going to let you know about headlines and more from throughout the region and we'll also tell you what's on tap for the rest of the week of the show all about (laughs) y'all Who else can say something like that so catchy? Well, we can because we love y'all. It's the show about the South, and it's coming your way after this break. Stay tuned.
Let the closing argument commence. Hello, it's y'all talk with an accent on everything in the southeast. Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maryland, Missouri, Mississippi, North Carolina, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, Virginia, and West, by God, Virginia. If you're part of that 16-state footprint or you have an interest in that part of the world, then, hey, we're glad that you're interested in us because we cover all of those states from a news and entertainment and a music and a food and a sports and a travel. And I'm leaving a bunch of other things out. But, yeah, we got it all covered here at y'all.com. And when I think of covered, let me take this moment to share a little personal note from this past weekend. We cover y'all and the South like Waffle House, scattered, smothered, covered. And I made my first trip into a Waffle House in the, uh, what are we going to call this time period? We're not totally out of the coronavirus. We're, we're at the maybe the sunset of the coronavirus. And I made my first trip to a Waffle House in the last couple of months, at least, where you didn't have to have a mask on, and it wasn't quite so scary when you went in there. And, man, the Waffle House on Saturday, late breakfast, it was awesome. And so kudos to that Georgia-based company, founded by at least one West Tennessean, by the way. And... uh, it was a, a good experience. So I just want to say to all the Waffle Houses out there, many of which had to kind of shut down or really adjust their schedules, way to go, way to hang through this. And hopefully all those wonderful Waffle House waitresses who have through the years been so nice and so good, maybe not all, but most of them, they work their fanny off. And the and the cooks work their took us off there at the Waffle Houses of the Southeast. So I am glad to know that they appear to be back up and going. And I haven't heard of any Waffle Houses having a shutdown as a result of the coronavirus. And to Waffle House's credit, as far as I know, just about every single one is not only open, but they let you come in and eat, unlike some of these other restaurants who have tricked us into still being closed and will not open up their lobbies for people like me. I love going in a restaurant and sitting down and eating. It's just something that I don't like to take things home. I don't want to eat in a car. I want to go in there, sit down and have a great meal and drink about six refills of tea while I'm in there and uh, leave a tip. I'm okay with that. But so many of these restaurants now have got that door locked and say, Drive in only. The worst words to have come out of the coronavirus. Drive through only. Drive through only. And I'm just trying to tell these people, let's get back to the way it used to be when we could go in there. and You, you might have to hire an extra person to clean the dining area every couple of hours. But the money they're making, I'm sorry. I think a lot of these people are not letting that dining area open because it's a cost-saving measure and dadgummit people like me like to have options when we go out to eat so yes please open it up open up the economy and that includes opening up your darn dining room people please for the sake of 
my sanity, please do that. And I bet you a lot of you out there have the same sentiment. We have a look at some sports news to start this hour out of the Y'all Show. Later, we're going to have an encore of a interview, not in its entirety, but a portion of the interview that The Real McCoy had with country music singer and acting legend John Schneider of Smallville and the Dukes of Hazard fame. Bo Duke will be on in just a few minutes, courtesy of The Real McCoy, and we're going to let you hear what he's got going on this weekend outside of Camden, Tennessee at Birdsong Marina. All that is coming up here with John Schneider this hour. We also have another glance at some headlines from across the southeast, including take the Tennessee trivia question. Are you going to ace Tennessee trivia? Well, WKRN Television in Nashville has come up with a little trivia contest to celebrate the Volunteer State's 225th anniversary birthday, the birthday of the Butternut State. We'll tell you about that coming up a little bit later in our headlines. And also we'll give you a sneak peek of what it's on tap for the y'all show for the remainder of the week. All right, let's go into some sports headlines to start hour three, our closing argument. I'm flying solo here today on this. And I'll start out with some golf news. As this past weekend, they had the Byron Nelson outside of Dallas. And Korean golfer K.H. Lee becomes the third Korean to win this tournament in Dallas in the suburb of McKinney, Texas. And he roared back uh, to victory. He was able to overcome Shreveport's Sam Burns, who had the lead. Sunday was a nasty day. They actually pushed up the start of Sunday's final round to a morning start because of the weather that was coming through the Metroplex. And they moved it up, and they still had to deal with rain, awful rain, and lightning delays and stuff like that. They were able to get it in to their credit. And in the end, the Korean K.H. Lee picks up his first victory on the PGA Tour at the AT&T Byron Nelson on Sunday. A great job. As a result, a result of winning that, K.H. Lee gets that final spot in this week's PGA Championship taking place at the Ocean Course on Kiowa Island in South Carolina. That is the second major of the year. So our first major was the Augusta in Augusta, Georgia, the Masters at Augusta National and now the second PGA Tour major event of the year is your PGA Championship in the low country of South Carolina's Kiowa Island. And it's going to be an awesome event, a beautiful course there right on the ocean. I guess that's why it's called the Ocean Course. But it's a very long course. I think it's around 7,000 yards in length. So look for some of those heavy drivers like Dustin Johnson and Bryson DeChambeau to be in contention for this PGA Championship. We're going to have Jason Nall on later in the week. He'll be on Thursday show the day the PGA Championship gets underway in Charleston County. And we're going to have him come on and kind of give us his take on who he expects to be walking away with. I think it's a Wanamaker Trophy. I think it's what the PGA Championship winner gets. Uh, I need to study up on my hardware for winners of the major events. I know they don't get a green jacket this weekend. In in uh, that's only at Augusta this weekend in Charleston and County and at Kiowa they get a nice silver jug, but not the claret. The claret is for the winner of the Open Championship, aka British Open. But K. H. Lee, who now calls Florida his home, uh, the native of Korea, gets a victory 
at McKinney, Texas. He's going to have a baby, his first baby, pretty soon. His beautiful wife was there at the AT&T Byron Nelson seeing his victory on Sunday in a, a nice, sweet moment. Again, Sam Burns was the leader. The former LSU golfer kind of didn't come home in that final stretch of holes and get the victory, but he ends up finishing Burns in second place all by himself and gets a lot of points and a lot of money for that feat there at the Byron Nelson. But again, golf now turns its attention from Texas to the South Carolina Low Country for this weekend's PGA Championship. College baseball played over the weekend. The big story was that the Arkansas Razorbacks, ranked number one in the country, were able to go to Knoxville and walk away with a series win, although they did lose a game on Saturday to the baseball Vols. Arkansas, Dave Van Horn's team gets the series win, and they remain atop the D1 baseball poll this week at number one. Vanderbilt goes on the road to Oxford, and there at Swayze Field on the University of Mississippi campus, the Diamond Landsharks get the series win, winning two of three against Tim Corbin's Vanderbilt Commodores. Mississippi State did not have too much success at home this weekend. Missouri, one of the worst teams in the Southeastern Conference, comes all the way to Octibaha County, and the Mizzou Tigers get the series win. They won the games two and three, winning seven to six in game two and 16 to eight in game three. And Mizzou, M-I-Z-Z-O-U, or I should say M-I-Z hyphen Z-O-U. I think it's how Missouri fans give their cheer. Missouri with the series win over number three, Mississippi State. You had Texas off this weekend. I don't know how that happened, but they were not playing baseball this past weekend. TCU loses their series against Louisiana Monroe, the Warhawks getting a big series win over the Horn Frogs. Texas Tech gets a series win against the Oklahoma Sooners. The Florida Gators picked up a series win against the Georgia Bulldogs and the good old Florida-Georgia-Florida-Florida world's largest outdoor cocktail party on the baseball diamond rivalry. East Carolina, they were able to get a series win against the Cincinnati Bearcats out of the American. That American Conference Series goes to the Pirates. The Louisiana Tech Bulldogs, they got a series win over the Roadrunners of Texas San Antonio. Louisville, they were swept at North Carolina. Dan McDonald's really scratching that redhead of his now as the Cards lose 5-1 to UNC, 5-0 to UNC, and then in the third game losing 10-5 there in Chapel Hill. FSU, they were able to get a series win against the Clemson Tigers in ACC baseball action. You had Southern Miss. They were able to get a series win against Florida Atlantic, winning 6-1 and 14-8 among losses to the Owls. The Charlotte 49ers, they picked up a series win in Houston against the Rice Owls over the weekend in a battle of Conference USA teams. Also from the South, the South Carolina Gamecocks, a big win against the Kentucky Batcats as they went on the road to Lexington, Kentucky, and Carolina gets the series sweep against the Batcats, winning 12-6, 9-0, 11-6. Our college baseball insider here at y'all.com, and the Y'all Show tells me that Kentucky is likely going to be 
having a different baseball coach in 2022. We'll find out what happens there in Lexington at UK. But yes, Kentucky being swept by a South Carolina team that was spinning out of control here over these last few months. In fact, a look at the latest top 25. The results are in from D1 Baseball. Arkansas continues to be number one. Texas checks in at number two. Vandy drops to number three this week. Tennessee holding steady at number four in the latest D1 Baseball poll, even though they lost their series to a number one team in Arkansas. The Red Raiders of Texas Tech move up to number five this week. Other teams from the South, the Gators are at number nine in the latest D1 baseball poll. Mississippi State drops to 10 after losing their series to Missouri this past weekend. ECU is 11, TCU 12, Mississippi 13, Louisiana Tech is at 14 in the D1 baseball poll. Florida State is 16, Southern Miss to the top, the Golden Eagles are at number 19. South Carolina moves up from 25 to 21 this week after their series sweep at Kentucky. The 49ers of UNC Charlotte at 22. NC State, as Elliott Avent's team checks in this week on the poll at number 23. And that's the last of the Southern teams in the D1 baseball poll right now. Great news there. Now, we have courtesy of college football, a national championship game played on Sunday. Did you see it on ES or rather it was on ABC and then the championship ceremony on ESPN plus congratulations to the Sam Houston state Bearcats. They picked up their first national championship in college football as they overcame a 21 point half def- They overcame a 21 point halftime deficit to beat James Madison in the semifinal game. And that was the week before then in this national championship game, they, overcame a deficit in this game they overcame deficits in all of their playoff games i think to win and in this last game played in frisco the bearcats of sam houston come back and get a victory over the south dakota state jackrabbits a wonderful win and that last touchdown pass comes with about 19 seconds on the clock as the bearcats quarterback eric schmidt he had a great 10-yard pass to ife adaye and the bearcats with a big, big win, picking up their first championship. And to the credit of the coach of the Bearcats, Casey Keeler, he picks up his second national championship as Casey Keeler had been the head coach at Delaware in the 2001-2002 time range when he won a championship for the Blue Hens. And then he goes from Delaware to the Lone Star State and now picks up a victory for Sam Houston State out of the Southland Conference, getting the big 23 21 win on Sunday. A close game. The Jackrabbits, I thought would they were going to be able to drive down and at least get a field goal to win the game in the closing seconds. And it almost happened that way, but it was a, a great thing to see college football being played in the month of May and mainly just to get college football wrapped up for 2020. The FCS decided not to have their championship in the fall. They pushed it to the spring. So most of your 1AA type schools ended up playing some sort of season here in the February, March, April, May months, and it worked out. We have a champion now, and for all the teams that didn't make it to the playoffs or got eliminated pretty early, the Jacksonville States come to mind, your James Madisons come to mind from the southeast. They now have a chance to turn around real quickly and have their full 2021 fall season get underway within three months they'll be back to practice alongside the f 
BS teams out there from the big conferences, the Power Five and more. College football on display this past weekend on ABC. A great scene there. Loved to see the play these teams putting up the fight, the emotion there, and it was real football, and I loved it. Okay, I love seeing it. Now, this was not something I had planned to talk about today, but I'm going to go ahead and give it a shout-out, too. Did you happen to see on Saturday, and it was also uh, two games played Saturday, and there's a game or two games scheduled for this Monday night. The Spring League, I'd never even heard of the darn thing. But we've got a combination of eight teams in this so-called Spring League. There's four teams that are based in Indianapolis, four teams based in Houston. And they are not given names of like the city they play in. They are just given their nickname. That's who they go by. And what you have is a total of six regular season games for each member of the Spring League. These players are not being paid. They're actually having to pay, unless you were on an NFL roster, let's say you never have gone to a, a camp or something like that, you have to pay a $2,000 entry fee to even try to be in this league. So that's a, a twist, a different twist you don't expect to see in sports. But these these guys are looking for that one last chance to be spotted. And so you've got four teams based in Indianapolis, four in Houston and the the four teams all play each other at their respective locations so it's a total of six regular season games played and this past weekend was the second second week of the season of the TSL the spring league and Fox Sports broadcast this thing I don't know if you saw it but it was pretty cool and they played at least the game I saw was played at Lucas Oil Stadium and it was played right there at the home of the Indianapolis Colts. In fact, I don't know. I, I wish Art Cruz were here today. There's some legal questions that need to be answered. And something tells me the NFL office is going to be calling up the Spring League and threatening some copyright infringement because, for one reason, the Colts end zone still had the Colts end zone. <laughs> it, it, it had Indianapolis on one end and Colts on the other. And so it looked like it was an NFL game. The center logo was covered up but the end zones still were marked for the indianapolis colts and then i saw one of the players out there playing had and he probably was at one point on an nfl roster but he had an nfl logo on a sleeve like the undershirt of his uniform was the nfl shield logo and something tells me the nfl doesn't want to see their logo used by members of a so-called competitive league and that's just that's just how the NFL and to their credit that's how they should be they should be pretty protective of their brand right now the spring league does not have an official relationship with the NFL but it is this kind of upstart spring football sort of professional league and I, I at least heard or saw some familiar names former Georgia Tech quarterback Vad Lee was the quarterback of one of the teams playing this past weekend. And I'm I'm going off the top of my head. I know there's one team called the Generals. And I can't even remember. Uh, Con- Conquerors might have been who I saw this past weekend, something like that. See, it wasn't that strong of, um, of a memory of the teams. But I will say, speaking of fashion, Jerry Glanville was the coach of one of the teams 
suiting up on this past weekend, the former Atlanta Falcons coach and uh, Dion's coach, the guy that cut Brett Favre when he was in Atlanta with the Falcons. And Jerry Glanville, gosh, he's got to be nearly 80 years old now. He had on sunshades there at Lucas Oil Stadium, and they looked like sunshades a pimp would be wearing with the kind of uh, sparkly sides to them. But, yeah, football still being played even in the month of May and a little tribute there to the Spring League. If you're looking for some football, well, these guys have the baton for at least the rest of May, and I believe it's Fox Sports 1. You can tune in on this Monday, Monday Night Football, Fox Sports 1 and the Spring League if you want to give that a run. Hey, an article out about the seven best first-ever matchups in college football This is from fbsschedules.com. They've got this article out. And I'll run through, again, what they call the seven best first-ever matchups in college football. Some of these you'd think, surely these two teams have played at one point in their history, but evidently not so fast. And it all starts the opening weekend of college football. LSU will be playing against the UCLA Bruins. How about that? They've never met before, and they're going to suit up in Tinseltown, and then UCLA, the Bruins, will be headed back to Baton Rouge for a game in 2024. So that one, UCLA-LSU, first time they've ever got together, September 4th. Boise State, a power of the group of five, will be playing another so-called power of the group of five in an arguable national championship That opening weekend of college football, the Broncos and the UCF Knights will be getting together a return trip to Boise in 2023. These two teams have never met. They're going to be meeting on an independent field as the Louisville Cardinals will be playing in the Chick-fil-A kickoff game on Monday, September 6th, Monday night football. That opening weekend football Monday night game features Louisville, from the ACC versus the SEC's Mississippi Land Sharks. First time they've ever met. And that's a little weird because I know Louisville for a long time always played at the Liberty Bowl against the Memphis State Tigers. And Oxford, just another hour down the road, you thought they might have got a two-for-one in there at some point. But no, they've never met. But they will be meeting on September 6th. Another matchup of two Brainiac teams who've never met on the gridiron. Stanford will be in Nashville to take on the Vanderbilt Commodores. How about that? Uh, good good on the, these two schools getting together. Of course, it was the just-fired Vanderbilt coach who had come over from Stanford as an assistant coach to be the head coach. And uh, now he's out, and now Vanderbilt's got Clark Lee as the head coach on Music Row, leading his team against the Stanford Cardinal September 18th is the date of the Stanford-Vanderbilt football game. Boston College will be taking on the Missouri Tigers. This will be taking place at Chestnut Hill on September 25th. Another game of teams who have never played before on the gridiron this year on the football schedule. The Black Knights of Army will be at Camp Randall, and they'll be having drills and formations and maybe even playing a little football game at Camp Randall against the Wisconsin Badgers October 16th. It's when the Army Black Knights, a.k.a. Army West Point, and Bucky Badger get together mid-October in Wisconsin. The Mississippi Sharks back on the schedule of teams who have first-ever matchups against other teams, and this is of note, 
And the reason this game, the Mississippi Land Sharks, are also here a second time. They have Louisville. We just told you about that matchup. They play another L team, Liberty. The Flames will be lit up in Oxford on November 6th. And why is this game of note? Is It's because the head coach of the Liberty Flames, a guy named Hugh Freeze, the Tate County, Mississippi native, I think he's from Coldwater, who was the head coach of Mississippi for several years before a burner phone and other not so great things within the program led to his dismissal from Ross Bjork and now Liberty, which was one of the best teams in college football in 2020. They head to Ox Vegas, the Flames and the Land Sharks getting together for the first time in school history. Liberty in the last few years moving up from the FCS ranks out of the Big South Conference. Now they're an independent team and they'll be declaring their independence and Hugh Freeze will be going back to his old employer where there's a lot of people still are Hugh Freeze fans and don't think he should have been fired. And after Coach Wade was there for about two years after Freeze was fired, a lot of people really wanted Hugh Freeze to come back, come ride back, especially after Bjork took off for the bright lights of College Station to be the athletic director at Texas A&M. But now the Sharks have a guy named Lane Kiffin leading that program, and I think most of the loyal Shark fans are pretty happy with Lane Kiffin and are glad he's there versus Hugh Freeze. But still, a tremendous year for 2020 for Liberty as they've made the move up to the FBS ranks, and they'll be taking on the Mississippi Fighting Fish on November 6th. Check it out. Those, again, from FBS schedules, a list of some of the best first-ever matchups in college football taking place this season nba playoffs they have this first play in tournament ever in the history of the sport and it starts tuesday out of the eastern conference you're going to have the boston celtics and the washington wizards getting together that's the seven and eight seeds here in the playoffs from the eastern conference then you have the pacers and charlotte hornets getting together and they're the nine ten seeds now the way this works the winner of the 7-8 game, Celtics-Wizards winner, is in the playoffs officially, and they'll be going on to take on the Brooklyn Nets in a traditional playoff format where I guess it's best of five. If you lose that game, loser of the Celtics-Wizards game, you get to play another game. And the game that you'll be playing there will be against the winner of the Pacers-Hornets game. Winner advances to play the loser of 7-8. The loser of the 9-10 game is done for the year. And then, therefore, the ultimate winner that bounces back or wins for a second time, if you're the 9-10 person, you get to go on to become the eighth seed in the NBA playoffs where you'll be taking on the Philadelphia 76ers, which ended up being the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. Western Conference? Memphis and the San Antonio Spurs, the Grizz and the Spurs are your 9-10 seeds. Losers done between those two teams when they play on Wednesday. The winner advances to play the loser of the Lakers-Golden State Warriors, and then the winner of that one ends up getting to play the Utah Jazz, it looks like, where the winner of 7-8, Lakers-Golden State Warriors, advances to become the seventh seed and will be playing the Phoenix Suns in the NBA playoffs. So a little confusing this year, doing things different, but that is a quick look at your NBA playoff perspective here on the Y'all Show, getting you ready for 
the roughly six months, it always seems, of how long the NBA's postseason lasts. If you were looking for basketball, you're going to have plenty of conversation on lots of other sports shows. I'm not going to give the NBA too much love here, but we'll give them enough love to at least tell you who some of our Southern teams are in this play-in tournament and be moving on beyond that. When we come back on the Y'all Show, we're going to have an encore of an interview that John Schneider had with the real McCoy. That's up next. So get your Daisy Dukes on and get ready for the Dukes of Hazards, John Schneider. Yeah, get those Daisy Dukes on. Oh, do y'all know who that is singing? That beautiful number one song from the 1980s? Mm, Bo Duke. You might know him also as John Schneider. And a great song. I've been around enough to know he had a couple of big songs in country music back in that time period. And that's when he wasn't acting. He was singing. And he is one talented D-A-M-N Yankee. John Schneider, who is a New York native, but... Grew up part of his life in Georgia before getting on the Dukes of Hazard, where he started as Bo Duke. And John Schneider, who's now in his 60s, is just, uh, the guy's got it going on, I'm telling you, from one guy to another. John, you, you got it, man. We're, we're proud of you here, and we're, we're kind of jealous as well. But John Schneider, he was on a sister program of ours, He was on The Real McCoy on WTJS FM 93.1 and WNWS FM 101.5, booming out across West Tennessee, both of those stations. And The Real McCoy had Schneider on at the end of last week to promote an event going on this weekend at the Birdsong Arena and Birdsong Theater. All of this is outside of Camden, Tennessee, and we're going to let The Real McCoy take it away for just a few minutes and enjoy this conversation that he had with the great singer and actor john schneider but before we do that you know we're gonna have to redneck it up a little bit if you don't mind who if you watch the dukes of hazard didn't love the car chase scenes and the general league going up in the air who didn't like that and who didn't like the sound of this little sound effect that you heard coming out of that general lee <laughs> oh yeah love it all right let's take it to the real mccoy now in his conversation with john schneider here on the y'all show there hasn't been a whole lot of reasons to laugh lately 
been a lot of reasons to cry. Mm -hmm. There's been a whole lot of reasons to laugh. No doubt. And it's great, great to watch the crowd laugh and, and uh, honestly hear a little hear a little uh, tires on a dirt road peeling out on the way out of the field. <laughs> Boy, love it. Love that, it, love that it. is a great sound. It is. And um, you, oh, yeah. you, you were talking about you do dirt track racing as well. John, yep. what, what is it you don't do? I mean, you've had a very successful acting career. You've had a very successful music career. You've had a very successful um, um, uh, right. television yeah, just... and movies. And you drive dirt tracks. Uh, you, you drive the heck out of that. You drive the heck out of the General Lee. Uh, how many General Lees did, did they go through during your run of Dukes of Hazard? My very, um, my very educated guess is 349. 349. <laughs> 349. <laughs> yeah, because it was always... 100, 158 shows, two cars per show, and then a little margin for there you go. There you go. Because it, it was always wild how you would you, the, the y'all would jump into General Lee, and it looked like the car was almost bent in half. But man, it never slowed down. <laughs> oh no, we just kept going. But uh, I tell you, in Stand on It, I think I think this is safe to say, Stand on It is the only movie, only car chase movie, where only one hero car was used. Really? We had one car for the whole for the whole movie. Wow, uh, we have since we've since filmed a, a sequel to it. It'll be out this uh, this Christmas called Poker Run, uh -huh. and we we got another car for that. Let's but, see. Uh, yeah, so one car was used. Uh, so I, I uh, you know, years after Duke, everybody would say, "Oh, this is this was used on the show. This was used on the show." Three hundred forty-nine of them is really hard to tell. I'm telling you, that that, that well, is for sure. One. With one Hellcat challenge, I will know for sure if I see a stand on it car down the road whether or not it was the one actually used. Ah. And, and actually, I have I have no desire to, to let loose of that car anyway. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep hold of that. Oh. I'm a I'm a diehard Mopar guy, and I I think that people are going to make this their new favorite movie car of all time. Wow. Uh, John yep. Schneider joins us here on the program. It's 444. Uh, he's bringing his Bows on the Road tour to Birdsong uh, next weekend, May 21st through yep. the 23rd. John, um, success in music, success in acting. Which came first for you? Was it music or was it acting? It was music, musical theater. Yeah. Yeah, musical theater. I started when I was eight years old doing uh, plays like Fiddler on the Roof and the Mikado and... Uh, what was the very first one was, uh, um, oh, shoot. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> Little Abner. Little Abner. Little I did, uh, I, I played, I was in the chorus in Little Abner. And uh, the theater bug bit big, and I have never done anything else. My, my whole life has been nothing but entertainment from mm -hmm. card tricks to singing to juggling to uh, now to uh, driving cars fast in the movies. And I have loved every moment of it. Um, and in many regards, I feel because we're making our our own movies now and mm -hmm. putting our music in it, I feel like I really just got started. Were you afraid? I finally, finally gained some traction. <laughs> were you afraid, John, after the success of the Dukes of Hazard? Because it was huge. 
I mean, it was huge. Um, were were you kind of worried after that success that maybe you might be stereotyped in in that role? Well, if I'd have just let the let the world run with me, I absolutely would have. But um, I think you can tell I'm a guy that takes things. But excuse me, I sound like uh, the guy. I sound like Mr. Haney, <laughs> Mr. Haney on Green Acres. Um, I don't believe in waiting for the phone to ring. Mm-hmm. I'm a guy who who dreams big and constantly, and uh, I believe that you have got to be in charge of your own destiny. Mm-hmm. So I think the reason why I'm still around um, is I never stopped, and I and I never sat back and thought, oh well, I'm somebody, so obviously somebody's going to want to hire me. That just never occurred to me. Gotcha. Um, mm. Even at the height, even at the height of Dukes of Hazard, really, mm-hmm. and I think that's because I I spent all those years. It was it was a decade, you know, full ten years doing theater where everybody had to do everything. Right. You know, you weren't mm-hmm. just on stage. You had to help hang the lights that would light you on stage. Uh, you know, you had to do the makeup and build the sets and and. Uh, I never, I never got the terrible impression, as some people do, that any one job is more important than any other job. So, that's why I'm still doing it. That's why I'm still, uh, at, at the ripe young age of 61, I don't feel any different than I did when I was doing Dukes. I mean, not, I don't feel, I mean, I look, I look older, but I don't feel a day older. Um, and I love what I do. John Schneider, I want to thank Brad McCoy of The Real McCoy Show on WTJS and WNWS Grace Media Group for giving us the green light to air a portion of his interview from the end of last week with John Schneider. And as John referenced there in that great interview with The Real McCoy, he'll be in the Dover, Tennessee area this coming weekend at Birdsong Drive-In at Camden Speedway and at Birdsong Resort and Marina They have this awesome weekend full of Bose extravaganza on the road. You can go to John Schneider's official Facebook page, which is John Schneider, and learn how you can get tickets and more. But it is a combination of a concert. It's a combination of a race there that John and his wife are going to both be participating in. An action-packed weekend there in Camden, Camden, Tennessee, and a fun weekend with John Schneider. He's got other greats coming in to join him. Some fellow musicians, Keith Burns, who was a member of Trick Pony, which had some country music hits, will be there at Camden, Tennessee this weekend. Racing, movies, and music, a fun weekend. This coming weekend in Birdsong in West Tennessee, but not far from the Tennessee River. Check it out. Go to John Schneider's facebook page to learn a lot more about what you can do for an action-packed weekend with bo duke speaking of tennessee when we come back we got a tennessee trivia question you better pass it if you call the volunteer state home for sure that's coming up as we close out this third hour of talk with a southern accent
you have heard and read about the state of Tennessee. Down in the southern states is where I want to be. Where the valleys they're so green and the mountains are so tall. You will know just what I mean when you hear them say you all. Tennessee. I hear you calling me. Okay, I won't do any singing like I do on Fridays here on the Y'all Show, but a little Jimmy Martin music for you and a fun song there called Tennessee. And if you're all up in that, I think it's Tennessee. What I should know this. What uh, number state is Tennessee? Dadgummit, I cannot believe. I think it's six. I'm going to say 16. I have just failed the Tennessee test and I haven't even started it. But let me tell you, Tennesseans, and those who love the state of Tennessee, thanks to WKRN Television in Nashville, they've come up since this year marks Tennessee's 225th birthday. That I did know because I lived in Nashville in 1996 when the state license plate at that time said Bicentennial, T-E-N-N, and I had one of those license plates. And, uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll never forget, 96 was the 200th anniversary and now 25 years later we got the 225th birthday of tennessee this year and wkrn in nashville has come up with a 225 number trivia contest if you're looking for something fun to do and a time killer you can take the 225 question trivia contest about the state of tennessee if that is something that you are just begging and dying to do to kill some time. This would be a good relief for a long road trip, maybe a long road trip across the state of Tennessee. I hear you calling me. All right, according to WKRN, here is the first question on the trivia question about Tennessee. Out of 225, here's your first one. And for goodness sakes, Tennesseans, you better get this. And I'll be honest, the rest of the southeast and the country, you better get this too. Number one question. What is Tennessee's nickname? Is it the Mountain State? Is it the Volunteer State? Is it the Old Line State? And, or is it, number four, the Gym State? I'm not sure who the Gym State is. I know who the Old Line State, that is North Carolina, I think. Yeah, one of North Carolina's nicknames. And then... No, I might be wrong on that one. You know, shame on me. The old line state, is that Maryland? I better Google this real quick. I apologize, y'all. North Carolina's the old north state. Old line state is Maryland. My apologies, Maryland. I am so sorry. I just got you confused with North Carolina. Shame on me. I know who the mountain state is. That's West Virginia. So that leaves your Tennessee nickname 
the volunteer state. But did you know Tennessee has more nicknames than just the volunteer state? And this link here at WKRN will tell you these other 10 nicknames or other nicknames that Tennessee has. And that's what I'm going to focus on here on today's Y'all Show real quick is to tell you other nicknames of the volunteer state. Is it the Dolly Parton state? Is that Tennessee's nickname? I'm not sure if that's one of them. It It might be one of these days. But I know one of the nicknames of Tennessee's uh, that that is officially a nickname but isn't really called this much anymore. I think it should. In fact, that nickname has a lasting legacy across the entire state of Tennessee that people see every day when they go up and down the highways of Tennessee. And some of you might end up having to pull out your checkbook because of this. The 10 nicknames of Tennessee are, according to this article, the Marble City. Knoxville claims the name Marble City, and it goes all the way back to 1852. Are are these nicknames in this article? I'm having to look this up here as we go. Uh, some might be more specific to towns or communities. Mouse Tail Landing is a nickname within Tennessee. The Gateway to the South. Now, this is what I'm looking for. That evidently is a term used a lot around Clarksville, there, Montgomery County, Tennessee, and Middle Tennessee. The Athens of the South. Now, that's a name Nashville's often used uh, for Nashville. That's why the Parthenon there is, and, and, and other high education opportunities within what we used to call the Music City. You can call it the Athens of the South as well. The Secret City, Oak Ridge is the secret city. Little Chicago. Did y'all know about Little Chicago? Well, evidently, Johnson City has that nickname. The biggest little town, Adamsville, Tennessee. It has a population of fewer than 2,500 people, but the city boasts about offering a small-town atmosphere of knowing and being known by everyone, Adamsville. Governor Ray Blanton grew up on a farm near Adamsville. It's also the home of Memphis DJ legend Dewey Phillips and also the home of a guy named Buford Pusser, Adamsville, Tennessee. Cleveland, Tennessee, in East Tennessee, the city with spirit. Music City, yeah, that's Nashville, of course. The Volunteer State, perhaps the term best to represent the men and women that make up Tennessee, the nickname you've heard of, the Volunteer State. That name comes from when the War of 1812 was going on, and Tennesseans were called into service as they responded with huge numbers of volunteers going forward. Now, this article did not tell you what I wanted to tell you about. There's another nickname for Tennessee. I don't know why this article from WKRN didn't tell you this. They should have. But a nickname for this state of Tennessee is the Butternut State. And that is why the highway patrol cars of Tennessee Highway Patrol are that, I call it, god-awful combination of brown and khaki. It really stands out. You know when a cop is from the Tennessee Highway Patrol. And that color comes from Butternut. And the butternut color actually goes back in time to the Civil War as, I don't know if there's something called a butternut, but it might be a combination of other nuts were ground in to help dye, D-Y-E, the uniforms that Confederate soldiers from Tennessee fought in. If you ever study Civil War uniforms, oftentimes Tennessee soldiers had kind of this yellowish, brownish looking uniform color as opposed to gray 
and it was the butternut color. And so that term ends up becoming accepted as a nickname of Tennessee, and the Tennessee Highway Patrol keeps that color going. Something you probably didn't learn in school now that you think about it. But back to the Tennessee 225-question trivia that you can find at WKRN. Check that out of the nicknames of Tennessee and more. And you can learn so much more about Tennessee, whether you are a Tennessee resident or not. And again, it's in honor of Tennessee 225 this year, marking the 225th birthday of, we just told you, Tennessee's nickname, the Volunteer State. Congratulations. Way to go. And I have kind of failed here in trying to let you know about Tennessee because of the fact that this is what I was going to look up. Bear with me is I'll tell you what order Tennessee became a state in the union. Let's see here. Usually this is something you see on a simple 16th state. No, 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 no. I'm wrong on that one. Tennessee is the 16th most populous state in the country, and it was the 16th state admitted, June 1st, 1796. And I knew it wasn't a colony. We all probably should have known that. But it was pretty early to the party, but not the 14th state. It was the 16th state, 1796. And your current governor of Tennessee, Bill Lee, who before becoming governor ran a heating and air conditioning business, in Williamson County in Nashville, in the Nashville area. Hope you enjoyed learning a little bit here about Tennessee on the Y'all Show Talk with a Southern Accent. When we come back from this quick timeout on the Y'all Show, we're going to take you to y'all.com and give you a little taste of what's in store with the website that covers everything Southern throughout the rest of this week, as well as what we have coming up on the Y'all Show Talk with a Southern Accent as we cover it all, y'all, on the show covering the South. Stay tuned. More y'all coming up. All right, going to give you a little encore of Jimmy Martin. I, I feel so bad about butchering Tennessee's order of being admitted into the Union as the 16th state that will give Tennessee a little bit more love here, courtesy of this great bluegrass song from Jimmy Martin. As we told you, y'all.com wrapping up here this Monday edition. What's up at y'all? The y'all show here the rest of the week. We're going to have our barrister of Bodacious Barbecue, Matt Hermans. On the Tuesday Y'all Show, also get some college baseball talk out of the old fella. All that on the Tuesday Y'all Show. Also, we have a look at the news and headlines from throughout the southeast on tomorrow's Y'all Show. Wednesday, our ACC insider, Jonathan Lyafite, will be back on with us with a trip down ACC baseball lane, as well as what's going on with Atlantic Coast Conference football. That's part of our Wednesday fun. We also have on Wednesday... Y'all, a look at the new books out and how they're faring on the newsstand. Thursday, it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have golf on our mind. Jason Nall will be on to help us preview the upcoming PGA Championship taking place on Kiowa Island in South Carolina. So that will be on the Thursday Y'all Show. And then as we hit the weekend on our Friday show, it'll be a lot of fun. Craig Ferguson will be tossing his reel amongst us as part of his fishing forecast for the weekend and a look at movies All that on the Y'all Show this week. So it's going to be our pleasure to serve you here on the show that covers everything Southern. 
And we'll be right back here come Tuesday with our Tuesday edition of the All Southern Show. So don't miss out on the fun. 803-816-1170 is how you can get in touch with us here at the Y'all Show. And that number is available 24-7. Just give us a call or text us at 803-816-1170. Have a great, great rest of your day. And we'll be right back here come Tuesday for the show that covers everything Southern. Y'all talk with a Southern accent. I'm John Rawl. Have a good one. Back to that state of Tennessee I tell you there